This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. I don't know how you, you, uh, you like in, emotionally anticipate... I'm going, to, I'm going to talk to you with Donovan. We're going to agree on a lot of fun things. It's going to be fun, but boy, when we talk about the comics, we're just going to you know get down and dirty and crack our knuckles and stuff. Because I don't, I don't tend to. <laughs> you don't think we go? You don't get going ready for a fight? No, I, I mean, like you know, it's it's a uh, to quote an issue of Robin. It's 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 a uh, it's it's not about form. It's fluidity. Every fight is different, or every every podcast episode is different. You're right. Well, I don't go in looking for a fight. I thought going into this one, we wouldn't have any disagreement. And do then you come s- out with your out of ten. Well, it's a shame that we disagree about something that's very positive. But I guess we should put that on you. <laughs> Gotham City, like any other large metropolis, abounds in girls of all shapes and sizes. Debutantes, nurses, Stenographers and librarians. Gotham City Library, Miss Gordon speaking. Lopez hair removal, this is Jose. Holy transformation. One minute, plain Barbara Gordon, librarian and Commissioner Gordon's daughter. And the next minute, something new has been added. Batgirl, modeled after her idol, Batman. Holy apparition. No, boy, wonder I'm Batgirl. You are no longer alone, Cape Crusader. <laughs> It took me three years to track down the Jade Gatto, and three more to figure out how to steal it. Funny, it only took me ten minutes to figure out how to snatch it back. No matter how you do it, crime doesn't pay girls. Mihi nomen est, Stella, et hoc est, 
Batgirl to Oracle, the Barbara Gordon Podcast, episode 186 for, get this, January MMXX. <laughs> Batgirl to Oracle is brought to you by... Uh, I don't know. Modern day comics just don't seem to have the magic the older ones did. I wish I could go back to those days. You're me, but but I'm me. How is this possible? I'm you, from the future. What happens to my voice? Oh, well, uh, actually, I kind of was eating peanuts before I came back, and uh, one of them went down the wrong tube. I'm still trying to get it out, actually. <coughs> Nothing. Well, still, the future must be terrible. I mean... Your hair's half burnt off. Oh, well, actually, I tripped and fell over the stove. What about the scar on your face? It's a paper cut. And the eye patch? I was looking through a telescope and accidentally pointed at the sun. Look, I have a reason for being here. I built a time machine so you can go back to the past and check out the comics of yesteryear. I figure you'll either enjoy the good old days, or you'll gain an appreciation for the current comics. Maybe both. Can I bring some friends with me? Sure, but only one at a time. Well, there you have it. Join me, Mike Staley, and an assortment of co-hosts as we look over the world of DC Comics from half a century ago in my new monthly podcast, DC 50 Years Ago. Who are you talking to? Don't worry about it. Just check out DC 50 Years Ago on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, whatever it's called, and at dc50yearsago.podomatic.com. Seriously, who are you talking to? Backroll the Oracle is brought to you by MileHighComics.com, your new and collectible comic book store. Mile High Comics has an inventory of over 5 million comics from the gold, silver, bronze, and modern age, and over 100,000 trade paperbacks. If you're not into the vintage stock, Mile High Comics also has a subscription service called the New Issue Comics Express, offering a discounted price for comics ready to hit the shelves. So if you're looking for vintage back issues or a great modern subscription service, be sure to check out milehighcomics.com. Well, happy new year to you. New year, but same old, same old. So this guy is on once again, and I gave him an option. I said, you can either come on once in January, once in February, or twice in February. And he chose the once in January, once in February situation. So here we are. So welcome back to the show, Donovan Morgan Grant. It's annoying, and frankly, it's hypocritical. Oh, no, I switched that up. Whoops. Oh, my gosh. What if I said that? What if you did something that betrayed the essence of Cassandra Cain, and I used that line on you? How would you know? <laughs> <laughs> because I know Cassandra Cain better than you, I'd say. What do you expect me to say to that? <laughs> None. <laughs> I know it's not true. I know, well, but hey, it's fun to start off 2020 with a Cassandra Kane story, isn't it? You're darn right. Starting the year off well. So that's all. Um, I'm, I'm excited to be here. Thank you for 
bringing me back after your 10-year extravaganza. <laughs> Congratulations on that again. Thank you. And um, I think this this new decade will bring glad tidings for BTO. I sure hope so. You know, Shag, Shag um, made a, a point that sort of questions your honor and your friendship towards me, your care towards me. The fact that he made an effort to come on the Colin show, but you and Tom also did not call in, but at least Tom sent in an audio clip. So what excuse do you have? <laughs> yeah, let's hear this. I mean, I was at work, so it, it, I wasn't. I wasn't just like you know, pass out on the ground. Um, <laughs> and I intended to send you an MP3, but like it, it was, it had quickly avalanched into a, a very busy week. And I let you know that like I wasn't going to be able to. It wasn't. It wasn't mean like, oh yeah, I'll do it, and then I'll never get to do it. So like, I, I if you, if you were slighted by that, you know, you know, you have my love. So I apologize, mm-hmm. yeah. but um. Don't listen to him. I mean, like, I just, <laughs> I, I, I've I've invited Shaq on a few shows before, and like, he's yet to appear in my face. I'm not sure why he's speaking for me. I I don't know. I think he just always he wants to one up you. He wants to be seen as the preeminent co-host. And what can I do? I mean, sometimes the evidence speaks for itself. Whatever, like 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 <laughs> your conjecture. He can, he can try to to throw barbs my way, but I'm, I'm a I'm a quick dodge. So okay. Uh, okay. If this if we're starting 2020 off as like the year of Shagalicious versus Donovan Morgan Grant, I, I think you already played that like you know who do you prefer listeners game with yes, other co-hosts I last did. year. So uh, yeah. wasn't that already decided? I I suppose so. I think Michael Bailey always. When I put something on Twitter or something, he asks why I always try to create conflict. And I say, because it's fun. But <laughs> I think it's only between you. Y- y- yeah, basically. It's only between you two that I try to stir the pot. Well, I think you and I, as, as, as close as we've become in the last decade, I think you and I do tend to combat a bit more. I don't know if you and Shag really disagree. Like, he kind of tends to, like, um, you know... Uh, hang on your coattails a lot when when you're discussing things. I'm not sure if you've really had a a challenging conversation. Whereas I try to you know bring the brains. I try to like you know bring the conversation and provoke uh, a thought process that might be interesting and engaging to listeners. Where he's you know kind of just turns on his like automatic pilot switch and just says that's hot for like three hours. Wow. Okay. You're. I mean, you're really throwing down the gauntlet there. I just, I'm just I'm, I'm just spitting facts. <laughs> oh boy! Well, as you said, it is certainly a new year. Are you coming in this new year with any resolutions or any goals for 2020? Well, t- uh, 2019 ended relatively well for me. I, as I mentioned on the most recent episode, you know, the very the super very long end of the year episode. Uh, I got a freelance gig with DC, which I mentioned last time I was here. And uh, personally, I've taken a lot more – I think I've had your interest in my health and fitness. Uh, so I've been getting back into shape, and that's kind of been my number one kind of uh, uh, personal focus. So I hope for in 2020 I can I can even increase my, my, my fitness and hopefully, yeah, incre- and kind of increase my workload with DC Universe. And um, basically further on, be even in an even better place as to how 2019 ended. But – what about yourself? Are you going to travel to uh, uh, uncharted regions this year? 
Maybe we shall see. I, I have a trip planned with my father to go to Austria and Germany, and it might hit Switzerland. I can't remember. But unfortunately, my my father's now in the hospital after some unfortunate okay. things. So I don't think he's going to make it, and I'm currently trying to figure out what that means. Because we did get insurance on the trip, so he could potentially, I think, get that refunded. But I don't know that I could, and so I'm trying to figure out what that means. So if I go, it's either by myself or I try to get uh, the name on his ticket changed. So we'll see about that. I'm excited. I did actually get a ticket to go see Company with Carolyn Coca. So we're going to meet up in New York City, my spring break. And uh, it's a gender-bent version of Company, or at least the the lead, Bobby, is a female this time. So I'm looking forward to that and just like hanging out with her I think will be a lot of fun. So those are my, I think, two adventures that I currently have planned. But I am, I guess like you, you know, always looking to up the diet slash uh, physical fitness game. And this time I'm kind of on this, I like to call it the John Colton Sumner uh, fitness plan. And that's because after three attempts in 2019, I finally got cast in a play at a, uh, a pre- I would say one of the main theater companies here in Charlottesville. There are I mean, this is like the main one, and then there's one in Barbersville that's pretty preempt. So I'm I'm excited about that. It's called Men on Boats by Jacqueline Blackhouse, and it follows a group of real life male explorers in the 1860s as they are going down the Colorado River and discovering the Grand Canyon. And since all the explorers are men, the playwright asks demands that the cast actually be all. Uh, female identifying, non-binary, or transgender women. So I'm I'm very much looking forward to this. This is uh, audition for. Wow, I can't remember what the tiger. Oh, Tigers Be Still. That was in I think mm. September, and that was about I would say like depression and battling with depression and coming out of it. And then I auditioned for The Humans, which is about different fears. And two weeks later, I auditioned for Men on Boats. I thought, why not? I I might as well just shoot for all of them. So I didn't get cast in either Tigers Be Still or The Humans. Uh, Nicely, the the director of The Humans reached out to everyone and said, you know, if you want to hear why you didn't get cast or any, you know, criticisms, constructive, then please reach out to her. And I absolutely, you know, want to learn from these experiences and and try to get better. And so I asked, you know, why could you give me some feedback so I could do better next time? And she said, to be honest, your audition was fine. It was the blonde hair. And so I thought, well, (laughs) at least, I mean, that's true. And I appreciate her being honest. And she was, uh, she said, you know, I'd, I'd really like you for men on boats. She wasn't directing it at the time. I thought, okay, well, I'll try out for men on boats. The bad thing about Men on Boats was when I filled out my conflict calendar, I was free the entire time. January, February, which are the rehearsals, all of March is the actual performance. But the one day I was not going to be there was November 21st, my birthday, because I was in L.A., and those were callbacks. And it was like the worst thing ever because, well, number one, I don't know if I'd be called back, but just if I were, I would have missed it. So that means that everything 
I had to put everything out there in my audition because, which is a lot. You're only relying on your one audition and, and the director seeing you. So luckily for me, the director of Men on Boats was in my previous two auditions. And so I don't know if he remembered me from Tigers Be Still, but at least with the humans, which I felt like I did a pretty good job. I was I was very pleased with what I did on that one that he remembered that because it was only two weeks later. And so I hadn't heard anything. I was hoping like, maybe I'll hear something while we're in L.A. Didn't hear anything. Come back Monday, still nothing. So I emailed the person who's in charge of volunteers and things and said, did I miss anything? You know, I haven't heard anything. And then that evening I got a an email from the director that offered me the role of Sumner. And he said at the bottom, you know, if you decide not to do this, we won't hold it against you. And so I didn't even remember who Sumner was. They give us the play to read through. So we're familiar with it before the audition. But I didn't remember that particular character. And I just wrote back immediately, absolutely, I'll take Sumner. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Now, I had applied for, I guess I'll say, or auditioned for either Hall or Hawkins, who I think had just fun, fun sense of humor. They were on the entire show or in the entire show, but they didn't have many lines. So I thought I'm going to aim low and then see what happens. And so I'm, I immediately get out the, the play that we had got. And I'm looking and I'm like, oh my gosh, Sumner's on the main boat. He's the third on the call list. So now it's like way more than I ever expected. I do survive the whole play because some of the, the cast or some of the, the explorers leave the expedition. But every I'm super excited. I was jumping up and down when I got it. But now, you know, when I think about it, I, I just get nervous. I was actually reading through my part again today just to get a sense of how I want to potentially play him for our first read through. But I have done some superficial research on John Colton Sumner, and they've got some of his letters and journals at the on the Smithsonian online. So I read through those. I do have to say that it's rather sad. I mean, they don't get into... What happens afterwards, they get to where they need to go, and then this mysterious guy appears, and that's basically the end of of the show. But with some of the people who left, he was actually guilt-ridden over it for a long time, I guess for the rest of his life, really, because some of them get killed. And in in some, I, I guess, mania, but his depression and grief, later in life, he ends up castrating himself. What? I know. Luckily, we don't get into that in the play, but just thinking about, you know, how to play this guy, because, I mean, some of the lines seem humorous, but I think once we get to the point of him, you know, departing from people, and there's a point where the first two people leave, and the directions just say that Sumner goes and doesn't say goodbye, and I was thinking about that this morning. So, but I'm, yeah, so I'm really excited, but I'm also nervous. It's on a small stage, and the boats, I'm trying to figure out, you know, what's the director going to do with that? He did ask during the audition, how are you, you know, with movement and Tai Chi and yoga, and I'm like, oh, very minimum, you know. But I work out and run, so I feel like I'm pretty limber and flexible. But yeah, just directions because you're yelling and you know rocks and steer clear left, right, all of that stuff. So I think it, it's going to be really interesting. And just the thought of, I think being with uh, a really diverse group of women, I think will be really interesting. So I'm looking for sort of that community and family element of being with people for three months being together but i just want to you know give it my best and not let anyone down you know not myself down but otherwise i'm super excited about men on boats 
Same old Stella, always challenge yourself. Have you often like auditioned for plays for a while? It's I would say I auditioned for a couple like ooh several years ago, maybe five or more. And then I auditioned for and that was at a playhouse that is now shut down and didn't get a part. That's which is fine. And then I think two years ago in the summer I auditioned for Ragtime and didn't get anything. I mean my dance audition was really bad, so I that's fine with me. Plus I think they, they needed more black people. They just kept getting a bunch of white people, which Ragtime is both – it's like the black experience and the Jewish experience during – ooh, what is it, like 19th century New York or maybe earlier? I can't remember. Um, so I – whatever. But – I, I think it was just about for me. So, I mean, I understand why I didn't get a part and my dance audition wasn't very good. So, you know, I don't begrudge anyone. But, I, yeah, it's just I think I'm trying to put myself out there more. And my goal each time was just, like, put it all out there and don't leave with regrets or, like, cons- constantly come back. Because sometimes I like to focus on things and I'm like, oh, man, what if I had done this? What if I had done this? But – you know, I didn't do it, so I, I can't. So just go out there and, and put it there. So I'm happy that I auditioned three times this year, and the third time came up with some gold. So I just have to, yeah, I, I hope to keep doing that. And I feel like with some maybe companies, and this might be true of all companies, I think it's hard to get in there initially, and you have to work your way in. But once you're in, I think you're, like, really a part of the family. So I think if I show them what I can do now, then maybe it'll be a little bit easier uh, once I start auditioning more, especially if I show them, you know, that I can work hard and take direction and things like that. So so we'll see. So I feel like this could be a beginning, not just a one and done, but I think what a beginning it is. I, I just I'm really excited for, for this and I think it's an interesting idea to do a gender flip. So pretty cool. Absolutely. So that's uh yeah, that that was a long story, but I did want to talk about men on boats. <laughs> uh so you said this is gonna be like fixed is it in three months from now, is that what you said? Yeah, so January and Feb- I mean, it's like a second job. The audit or rehearsals are Sunday through Thursday, seven to ten p.m. So it's like, well, goodbye free time. I was trying to figure out when I'm going to work out and run and things like that. So January through February are rehearsals, and then March from the eighth to the twenty eighth or the sixth through the twenty eighth are performances, and it's like five times a week. So it's like, I mean, you're basically you've signed up when you audition. It even says like kind of a caution thing of like, this is a really intense process, and you need to be, you know, you need to be giving it to every, which is true because you're not letting yourself down. You're letting you know a cast down of ten plus everyone else. So yeah, it'll be. I just want. I hope I physically hold up and everything and mentally. Uh, you've had obstacles before and that's never stopped you Mm, that's true (laughs) (laughs) uh so the other thing that happened of course was star wars episode nine came out the rise of skywalker (laughs) now i actually at the end of this episode i'm going to put in a conversation that i had with carolyn coca just called her up one weekend and we talked about that and we also talked about the Mandalorian, specifically the founding, of course, but episodes one through seven, and I think we focus on seven. We we did it before episode eight had come out. So if you want to listen to our discussion, that'll be at the end. And of course, spoilers are going to be all over that place. So my thoughts and feelings are there, but since you were not on that episode or that, that discussion, conversation, what do you have to say about Star Wars episode nine? Oh, I can't wait to listen. I enjoyed it. 
but I I recognize writing wise that it is crazy flawed. I saw it twice. I saw it once myself because I was just I just couldn't wait to see it. And then I saw it next night with my brother. We tend to talk a lot about this kind of stuff uh, after we see things. We did the same thing for Captain Marvel. What carried me through the film was I really just do like the the main characters, uh, specifically the actors, kind of just watching them act. I really I just really enjoy like Ray Finn and Poe, especially now that they're there together. They were so separated in, in the Last Jedi, yeah. so that kind of put me into it. Kylo Ren might be my favorite Star Wars character. Whoa! Because I'm not a I'm not a crazy diehard Star Wars fan. I mean, I, I like them, but I, I just I just watch the movies, and I watch like the the, uh, the Gideon Tartakovsky Clone Wars cartoon. But like, oh, I'm not wow. really pursued much of the other content as a fan might. So my engagement is a bit more uh, distant than other fans. So I, I think Kylo Ren might be my favorite. Uh, Star Wars character because I just find them so compelling and I think Adam Driver is a very is a very good actor. I, you, don't, you don't want to spoil anything right now, right? Oh, we can. I mean, honestly, yes. Yeah, War tag is out. <laughs> I think that's fine if you talk about it. People should fast forward if they need to. I think uh, everything to do with uh, bringing back Emperor Palpatine is a mistake in trying to appease a certain amount of fans that were left salty in The Last Jedi, and it just comes off as um, miscalculated. And I really do not like the retcon that she's the granddaughter of Emperor Palpatine, because it feels that, like it's just it's just kowtowing to a segment of fandom whose complaints I did not find to be valid. There was a lot of sexist complaints against Rey in terms of, like, how can she be so good at this? And, you know, why is not she, you know, related to this? And I, I just felt that, like... Granted, last year I had polarizing reviews for interesting reasons, but like I felt that there was a, I found a lot of course correction in this film, which was distracting at best and uh, misguided at worst. And I thought that was it, it felt too focused on making everybody feel better in a way, which I thought the sort of the deafness of the writing was sort of uh, sacrificed. Um, you know, but my my favorite part of the movie was in the middle where she and Kylo Ren are, are having that lightsaber battle on the ruins of the second Death Star, and Finn's like, "Ray," which he does like throughout the whole movie. I love that bit. I thought that was I thought that was terrific. And once Kylo Ren, uh, I guess, became Ben Solo and was running around in his sweater, I thought that was really cool. And I really like Ian McDermott as a, as, a, as an actor. It's just that like a lot of the stuff was so convenient. That I was just kind of seeing, you know, I could see a better film here, but I can't say I walked around, I walked out of that mad or upset or whatever. I was, I was observant of what I thought were failings, but I still very much enjoyed it. Like I really, did, I really did enjoy watching it. But you know, yeah, it could have been better. What did you think? Would you use the word pandering? I think so because there are some things that like I didn't think were like like in the. In Force Awakens, there were things that were addressing what many people saw as like genuine flaws of the prequel trilogy. Like they thought that the lightsaber battles were too choreographed. They didn't like how fake other sets looked. So they went to they went they took pains to make things a little bit more natural, akin to the original trilogy. And in here, the things that I saw popping up were they felt like they were addressed to the wrong kinds of complaint. Like Kelly Marie Tran is like barely in this movie, and I don't know why. I don't. I don't understand from a critical reason why they would do that other than to appease people who didn't like her character. And they didn't like her character for reasons that I didn't find to be very valid. 
um, the whole thing about her needing to be related to somebody. People didn't like the fact that her parents were said to be nobodies in the last movie. The whole thing with um, like uh, Poe being in charge, whereas he had it kind of you know take a step back in the last movie, or the fact that the, I don't know if you and Carol got into this, but there's a lot of like. I felt that there was a lot of like no homo with with Finn and Poe, in a way which I, I was like, okay, this is a little distracting. <laughs> so there were just some things that I, I I was aware of the the extended context of the online conversation, and maybe that's my fault because I had that kind of you know in the back of my head as I was watching it. But um, they did you know they did affect my my viewing experience. But there was a queer couple at the end. There was, but someone pointed out the <laughs> fact that like you know. They were easily edited out in like international versions, like in like in Singapore oh. and stuff. And if you have diversity in ways which can be easily edited out for other audiences, that's not so much diversity as that. That is as much as it is virtue signaling, and you can do better than that. It's good that that's there, but you wonder the integrity of it if it's so you know blink and you miss it. Um, and th- and that goes to the nature of like. Okay, I mean, with the same thing. So, like, it's a fact of the movie of, of the film of the film franchise. But still, you know, um, I mean, I don't know how you feel about that, but like, I wasn't exactly shipping Finn and Poe, but I did think that this movie felt like Frederick Wortham did a draft on it because they they kept on giving them like love interests in ways which I thought were like, I don't know, I don't know if this is entirely necessary. <laughs> I think that they could have they could have pulled the trigger. Uh, several times but just decided not to i personally would like finn to be with ray but that's just my personal thing for you know from the first one but i do see like i felt like there were moments that uh, you could have had finn and poe together and i think it was just it was it was too much it's too soon i think that they are Yes, thank you, Josh. I think that they're nervous. <laughs> they're nervous to do anything. And, and even uh, Carolyn brings this up later on that it's easier to do it with something that is less of a financial risk. So movies, huge financial risk, but there are some LGBTQIA themes in some of the novelizations and the the comics um dr afra for alpha afra for example so you know they're doing it there but yeah the screen i think they just they didn't pull that trigger but it was interesting it was just interesting because you know it's like a v-day kind of kiss you know like we won and then you've got this woman who appeared first in in episode eight i don't recall seeing her in seven and yeah just she's got her girlfriend i thought oh okay well i mean we got one but apparently i guess the filmmakers were patting themselves on the back like yeah see we've got <laughs> queer representation <laughs> now get away from his case like she, that, that character has, has has her own um funko pop Does and i know really? this, i know this because i spent the day after christmas rearranging all the funkos in our store <laughs> that would have been um, an enjoyable thing to do no, I, I, I'm, I'm not complaining actually that was that was, was kind of interesting but uh apparently denmark said this like uh, 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 Carrie Fisher's daughter is in these movies. I don't that's know. Correct. It's Billy Lord. Yeah, he, that's, that's what he said. Because he was, he said, "I'm glad that like they did not force Billy Lord to be in the scene where her mother dies." And I was like, "Who's Billy Lord?" And he said that like, uh, she's his daughter. And I was like, "Oh my goodness." Um, what did you think about how they? I mean, I don't, you know, I'm sure you get into this in a much more interesting conversation with Carolyn. But like, <laughs> what did you think of how they handled uh, Princess or General Organa? Yeah, I. I liked it. I think with what they had available or what they were able to do, I think that they did 
a good job. I, I think it was beautiful that she uses, I think, her last life force. I mean, a lot of, you know, a big theme is just like using your life force to save somebody else, which I appreciated. And so I think to use what she had left to save Ben, um, whether she uses it to create that force, you know, the projection of of Han or that was something else. But, you know, she uses her love to to bring him back from the dark side, I think, was really nice. But also to have her training Ray, I thought that was nice because you always expected it to be Luke. But then we also see that. Leia had training. I liked that scene and, and to have mm-hmm. her pass it on to Ray. And one of my favorite moments, I think, was when Leia was giving her directions on something and then she walks away and Ray goes, yes, master. I thought, oh, you know, that's mm-hmm. pretty cool that we've got the, the master apprentice there with Leia. So I liked what they did. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I think everyone's very, you know, as harsh as critics can be. I think everyone's kind of like lenient towards that bit, and I, I don't dislike it either. I mean, I was, I was hyper aware that like it sounded like she was always res- verbally responding in the middle of a conversation, but at the same time, like you know, what were they really going to do? Yeah. Uh, the bit where. Um, I guess the character was called, was called Snap, where he was like, you know, oh, it's real oh, bad. Oh, Snap you know. Wexley, yeah. He's like, oh, it's real bad, General. And she was like, you know, don't tell me how it looks. Tell me how it is or or, or something like that. Like, Give me I, positivity. I was, yeah, yeah. While, while, while Rose Tika was in the background, I, I was – I was, I mean the whole time I was. But like, I was just like, you know, this. I can tell that this is kind of just scraps from deleted scenes. But at the same time, it was good to have her in the film. And it, it was unfortunate because I heard that like they were – wanted this to be a much more Leia-focused film initially. Yeah. So – they did what they could, and I thought ultimately it's fine. I know people are generally confused as to like what was going on with her and, and Ben um, Ben Swallow, as I've heard he's called. At the end there, like I, I, people weren't sure if she was projecting Harrison Ford or if she was yeah. just trying to reach out to him or if she, if she like turned him good. Like, there's been so many different interpretations that I've not really settled on one myself. But it, I thought it was a good. I thought that was my favorite bit of the movie. That all that stuff on the Death Star. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, it's a, a crazy fight scene for sure. I do have to say, I and you might have done this on QNOA, but something to think about and, and discuss further is just the role of fandom and how to what extent should fandom be heard. Have you done something like this? We've done that a couple of times. Uh, okay. The last last time we talked about that, we actually had Michael Bailey on. Okay. Um, but what I want to do for the next we, – we've not recorded in 2020 yet. What I want to do is, is have an episode about nostalgia oh, because okay. there's a lot of conversations about you know what, what, how things were the way back when. And sure. especially, I was especially thinking about with Star Wars because there's a lot of comparing to the past and well, the past died and all that kind of stuff. So nostalgia is, as of this recording, the episode I want to do right up front in this new decade. Gotcha. Yeah, I just think about it because I, I think you have – fandom is – it's – I think complicated and tricky and it's both good and I think it can also be really bad. (laughs) I don't know if it's ever been really good. Perhaps it has. But, you know, you have wonderful movements that bring shows back like Young Justice. I I don't know if Young Justice would be around if it weren't, you know, for a big part of of the fandom being there and and it's Mm -hmm. outcry of, of having it return. 
What's another positive thing before I get into the negative? Uh, potentially Sonic the Hedgehog. I know there's that fan outcry. <laughs> and, you know, that's like, oh, how ugly. It probably wasn't presented positively. But I think that Sonic looks much better than he did initially. So mm-hmm. you can say that. But then you have this film. And I would say in particular, and I don't think it's all fans. And this is going to make me seem... I guess sexist. I don't know. It could. I, it might be the male fans only, but the Rose Tico situation uh, from the previous film, and not just attacking Rose Tico, but attacking Kelly Marie Tran as a person, I, I think was horrible. I remember. I mean, she left social medias because she was being attacked. And now I was not the greatest of Rose fans, I would say. But I'm not going to attack her. I mean, she's in there. She could have been a potential. I She certainly grew on me throughout The Last Jedi. But then when you come to this film, it's like she's just a, a background character, like Snap, potentially, or uh, the guy from The Lost slash The Hobbit. Uh, not The Hobbit, but A the Hobbit. The Lost. <laughs> the Lost and Hobbit. Yeah, but well, you, seriously. From, uh, I, trilogy, yeah. yeah, she, um, I told Carolyn this, I guess you'll hear it again, it's kind of weird to talk, that if I had not seen the previous two films, I would have been like, oh, who is this background character that gets some lines from here, you know, you would have no idea that she had as much importance as she did in The Last Jedi. And the fact that she, you know, Finn is there and they're talking and he's like, I've got to stay and do this. And she's like, okay, well, I'm going to go. I mean, I think the Rose Tico of The Last Jedi would not have gone. She would have been all up in that action. So that's where I use the word, I think, maybe pandering. I, you know, like, hey, Fan, there was a fan outcry, negativity against Rose, so let's pull her back. And so I think in that way, it was negative, and, and I think that maybe there's a weakness there that you're bowing to the fans when I think there wasn't really necessarily anything wrong with the character. So even if I personally didn't love her, I think there wasn't anything wrong. And so I wonder what place fandom has to make sort of those influencing, or is it? Is that Odin, that, that onus on the, the director for, for giving in that way? And then if that's true, I mean, I just think about, you know, Captain Marvel and people were really upset and, you know, all these female, are, are we going, are we trending towards something that's potentially dangerous if people have a problem? Like I'm upset now because I don't know, this was a rumor and I don't know if it's true, but the next Captain Marvel film is going to be like a team up with her and Spider-Man. And I'm thinking to myself, now that was a rumor a couple months ago. So I don't know if this is true anymore. But I actually got really upset and I like quickly got off of the article because you know that I did not care for (laughs) this particular Spider-Man as much. But to think that Captain Marvel can't have her own film and we've got to bring in someone who is a fan favorite to maybe, I guess, potentially use that to rub off on her and bring her up. I mean, again, I feel like that's like pandering let her have her own film don't bow to these people who are kind of hateful beings but that's so i don't know what place the fandom has like i said it's a it's a complex little monster that we've got going on no i agree with you man um girl woman um (laughs) i don't that's that's i don't think that that would be true because Captain marvel made a billion dollars on her own she didn't need spider-man um on the on the one hand but like on the rose tico tip like you know, because like you know, 
a lot of people don't like that casino planet sequence or the supply yeah. in, in the last Jedi, but I wasn't there sitting there like, you know, this is all Rose Tico's fault that I'm watching. I guess it may have been, but like, I wasn't sitting there resenting her character that they're on that, that, that subplot, which I didn't like either, but like, I, mean, I didn't have any special feelings towards her. I just, I thought that her haircut was a little bit unfortunate, but like, <laughs> you know, uh, again, like I, I don't, unlike Jar Jar Binks, I don't understand why her character was such a lightning rod of criticism other than men and it's almost always men who just didn't like yeah. more diversity in star wars which has been like a proven fact since the, since the very first trailer the very first uh, sequel trilogy movie so like um it was just bewildering that like the filmmakers just brought her out of the film because I, I, I like because it's not like they were doing a course correction i think they were they were it just gave the appearance of of flinching from the loudest of critics. I mean, even if there's a, there's a better excuse for that, and there's not been so far. Like, you know, I heard someone banging about, oh, the Leia CGI or whatever, but it's like, come on, we're not idiots. Um, I don't know why that had to be. So, in that way, it's like, you know, it does. It did feel that you were sacrificing somebody's career for the sake of making sexist online feel better. Who did? Who were going to watch the film anyway? And so, she, yeah, she she just she deserved better, and um, maybe. Cause she'll get some sort of Disney Plus deal because Lord knows the other actors aren't going to do that. Indeed. Well, yeah, guess we'll see. We're at an end. At least Ray. I mean, you know, we, we were able to have a standout female lead in Ray, and I think she – you said Kylo Ren is, is potentially your favorite character of all time and uh, you know i've got i love jar jar binks and don't at me people <laughs> you know i love i love controversial things i love jar jar binks i love yeah, batman straight. and robin uh but ray might be my favorite star wars character of all time i loved her sure. from the instant i saw her sliding down into that scrap metal in order to to gather it so I, I've enjoyed her journey. I understand that there have been ups and downs, but I also go in, you know, not looking to pick apart a movie. And I think for that, I, I find enjoyment, which is how I'm going into Birds of Prey in February, because I know that this is not your mother's, this is not Stella's Birds of Prey. So I'm just going and be like, well, this is just a different interpretation. And then uh, I will be sure to let you know, because it's officially got an R rating. So I'm looking forward really? to whatever is about to happen. Yep. Yeah, you'll have to tell me about that. Oh, yeah. Oh, I will. For violence, uh, language, and some sexuality. So who knows? Maybe some Harley Quinn. Uh, Well, I guess. Do you have anything else about Star Wars? Uh, no, <laughs> I, I can only talk so much about Star Wars. I'm, 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 I, have, I have the comics in front of me, the beautiful comics. I'm getting ready to get into it. Okay. Well, yes, uh, again, at the end of this episode, I'll go through the tag at the end and everything. There will be a conversation, and I thought it would just be a short little time, but of course, you know, if you get Carolyn and me talking, we'll just keep going. So it's actually about an hour. So (laughs) some people don't like long episodes, but this might be one of them. But yeah, so the main event on this particular, and the reason why I've got my, my buddy here, on is because we are doing some Cassandra Kane tales. Speaking of Cassandra Kane, because of Birds of Prey, uh, so we are going to do the next arc in this. And I think there's not as much controversy. <laughs> As the first arc, so this might be a more copacetic episode. I mean, you talked about you how. You get... 
Uh, yeah, I guess that's true. You know, I find, well, sometimes I do get annoyed at you that you don't share my opinion. I do think it's actually more entertaining and we bring some entertainment value because who wants to agree all the time? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't think that that's <laughs> mankind's nature. Uh, but it, one of my, I mean, you say this a lot, but you, you say it with such sadness in your heart, like, don't. Don't make me disagree with you. Um, we say that a couple of times. But I think we might, I mean, knock on wood, we might be on the same page. So uh, Donovan's job this episode was to, of course, recap back row four through six. So I'm going to let him do that. And then we're going to talk about it. So you are on, sir. Okay. Are we doing like uh, all three issues or one issue at a time? I'm okay with all three unless you feel like it would be more beneficial to do one at a time. No, no, I, I can do either or. It's, it's no problem. So I can I can go through this this story because it is like a three part story. Yep. Okay. Uh, the creative team is the same for these three issues. Batgirl, Batgirl from uh, the 2000 volume, uh, written by Kelly Puckett, illustrated by Damon Scott and Robert Campella. Issues four through six. This storyline begins where the last uh, issue left off. Batman is is telling alfred how good batgirl is at fighting crime uh they busted in on some like crooks and he could tell just by her body language and her fighting skills that she was absolutely in his words perfect like she appropriates the exact amount of punishment towards them neither more nor less even if he wouldn't have minded her being a little bit more harsh because these guys were like killers and stuff um but she was even as you uh, described gentle with them and he has never he's basically saying that he's never had a pupil who's been just the precise amount of of uh, adroit when it comes to fighting crime, and Alfred's like, yeah, okay, you're bleeding, and Bruce uh, is like, oh really? Huh, that's interesting. I'm telling you this because I got this video uh, mailed to me just now, and so he puts on the video of as we saw in the last issue, the little girl uh, killing a man by uh, by ripping out his throat essentially, and um, Alfred's like, okay, are you saying we have a teenage killer on our hands and Bruce is like, Alfred, that's Batgirl. Uh, we cut to Oracle's clock tower where she's talking to Nightwing, and he's like, so what's the deal, Babs? I thought you liked living alone, and Barbara's relating that like it's basically the same because Cassandra's great at fighting crime, but she's not great at being a person, and uh, just before Cass sneaks up on her, she says it's hard to care about her because it's hard to relate to her, so um, uh, even though Batgirl had a concussion, I said Cassandra, even though Batgirl had a concussion in the last issue, she's heading back out in the costume again. Uh, while Batman is treating his wounds, Alfred's going over the tape and saying, uh, look, I know kids. That girl does not know anything about what she's about to do. Um, so do you think this could, this could be faked? And Bruce is like, <laughs> faked. Oh, it, it could be faked. Thanks, Alfred, old pal. You're quite the chum. <laughs> it's obviously faked. It has to be. We cut to Batgirl web swinging across Gotham and she's stopping uh, a hit on some poor schlub. Uh, checking out the hitman and this guy uh, shows his appreciation and he realizes that Batgirl can't understand him so he places his finger on her forehead and in an instant the the fighting language that, that she's consumed and communicated with since she was a child uh, turns into verbal communication and we see that through a double page splash of of uh, illustrated fighting figures turning into the word talk which is really cool um so he's like, oh, are, are you okay? And she doesn't respond verbally, but she responds in her mind verbally with the words, I'm fine. And she's spooked because she's hearing her own words in her head the first time. Coming back to the Batcave, 
uh, Bruce and Alfred test the footage, and he, they say that like a forty nine percent, at least forty nine percent of video quality assures it's a fake, and it's fifty one percent. So he has deduced where the killing took place, so he's going to Macau to to, uh, to solve this crime. Cut back on the streets, and the guy is relating to Batgirl that he's had these these sort of psychic powers for a week and he could tell that like her mind was kind of jumbled up he couldn't she could not understand so he tried to fix her brain and even though she can't physically talk because that's a whole different discipline she can understand people verbally and she's grateful because she thought she was going to go her whole life without understanding language um then there's a hit uh you know an assassin showing up so background's like oh this won't take long i'll be right back but then as she runs towards the assassin she can't understand what the person's about to do she can't read the person's body language and she gets laid out immediately that's the end of number four as we go into number five Batgirl wakes up with a gun in her face uh the hitmen presumably from earlier but maybe yeah they were from earlier um are waking her up a, a few hours later and Batgirl's moving in half speed because she's not moving in a, in a complete uh synonymous motion her her movements are much more syncopated they're much more but she does. She is able to uh, take the hitman down, and she rushes through Gotham to find uh, the the man. Uh, we cut back into the skies, and Bruce Wayne is flying towards Macau, talking to Robin, Tim Drake, who is trying to do some intel on this murderer in Macau. The guy's name was Fazul. He was a he was a numbers man, and there were eyewitnesses uh, saying that like there was a man matching David Kane's description and a young girl at the scene of the crime. So Tim says, do you think this has anything to do with Batgirl? And Bruce is like, oh, Tim, you're, you're, you're breaking up a bit. I'll have to call you later. Bye. So um, he – Batman first inspects the, the, the tomb and he then goes to David Kane's hovel and saying, I know you sent me that footage. You mess with the footage. You're trying to turn Batgirl away from me by making me think that she's like you. And Kane, who's like drunk at this point, he's even saying, what, what, fake that. What, what are you talking about? I gave you the footage and you still can't say, world's great detective Maya. You can't fake film. All right, whatever, whatever, whatever. And Batman's like, you have every reason to lie. Why would you send me this? And he's like, I want to make you understand that she – the reason why she puts on that costume is because she's trying to atone for her sins. I started off her too young and too soon. It's, it's my fault that she uh, retreated from me. But Batman doesn't really buy this. And um, Kane's like, oh, by the way, I heard that every you know low-rent assassin's in Gotham right now. So, yeah, have a nice trip back home. Uh, going back to the clock tower, Batgirl wants uh, Oracle to fix the sort of like uh, the tracker that she found. And she takes off her mask and Oracle's like, hey, what happened to you? And Batgirl's face is covered in bruises, but she's trying to relate to her that she can understand uh, language. She can understand – even though she can't speak, she can understand what she's saying. So Barbara's pretty uh, del- elated by that. She looks forward to talking to her. Um, Batgirl finally tracks down the man, and he's in the sewer with the, uh, the assassin from earlier, whose name is Ezra, who's uh, threatening him. And Batgirl saves his life just in the nick of time. Uh, and just at that point, um, she tries to relate – Sort of telepathically, okay, please change me back. I, I suck like this. I, I, I need my fighting skills back. And he says, I can't. I can't just confuse your mind again. I, I, I don't know how to do that. Um, Batman arrives and the issue ends. We go, we go to Batgirl number six. We, we see Batgirl relating things to terms like a, a car and like Gotham City. And, you know, Batarang is not a real world. So she just calls it Razor. 
Batman is talking to the man, and he talks about he was experimented on by an individual, and um, he's been chased by hitmen ever since he, he escaped from them. And Batman's like, okay, yeah, well, we'll, we'll be all right. No one can, can beat Batgirl. And the guy says, oh, well, she did. Ezra did. And Batman's like, say what? At that moment, we see um, some some killers or basically some muggers corner Batgirl who was keeping watch in an alley. And I love this. Just as the fight starts, we go back down to Batman and the guy and there's gunshots and Batman turns to that. And then he says, are you telling me that she took out Batgirl? Oh yeah. Uh, right after I fixed her brain, she couldn't understand me. So I fixed her brain at first. She liked it, but then she wanted to change me back. And you see Batman getting more and more worried as there are more and more gunshots uh, heard overhead. So Batgirl is struggling with these guys. She's taking them down, but she is taking a hit or two. And at one point, a guy gets in the way of another man's uh, kind of like range. He's pulling out a gun, and one of the muggers shoots the other. This this infuriates Batgirl, who quickly takes them apart. And uh, she throws this guy against the wall. And in an homage to Hajime Nuhipo, I'd like to say, does the heartbreak shot and <laughs> just slaps this guy's heart to stop it for three seconds and all in the service of batman and before she starts getting it pumping uh beating again so batman gives her an assignment to find out that find the doctor who experimented on uh jeffers is the guy's name and he's like no more surprises from you uh, i don't want to see that again so we cut to uh, a cabin where they're basically kind of they're not necessarily holding Jeffers as a bait, but they're kind of they're kind of luring out the assassins. Um, but Batgirl is just charged with, with guarding Jeffers because Batman's like, "You're, I don't want any more surprises from you. You're not you're not doing any more of that um, heartbreak crap. Not while I'm here." So while she's guarding him and guarding the the doctor, we see Batman engaged in a '60s Batman fight fight scene where there are more assassins that he's not aware of on the other side of the cabin. So Batgirl intervenes and. Like it was earlier in the issue, she's in the she's in the firing range of a guy between she's between uh, one guy that she beat up and a guy with a gun. So she doesn't want to hurt him. You know, she doesn't want to enforce employ any lethal force. So she just runs towards the gunman and gets shot several times before just yanking the gun out of his hands and then passing out from her gun injuries. Back at the Batcave, where she is for the very first time, she wakes up in the care of Batman and Leslie Tompkins, and before she is sedated, Batman says, wait, Batgirl, it was suicide to rush into the gunner like that. Why did you do it? And she says, instinct. And Batman, pleased that she's like him and not like David Kane, says, good answer. And that's the end of Batgirl 4 through 6. Thank you. I guess there wasn't really a subtitle to the to the arc, was there? Oh, no, there's not, there's not a lot of titles to these because, you know... She doesn't talk, so there's there's, there's really uh, more, more language necessary. Do you think that's the reason why they did that? I think it could be. I've noticed, I've noticed that a few years ago. Um, I think some issues have them, and some issues don't. Like I don't, I don't I, I, I'm pretty sure this continues at least until issue 25. It just like it just ends with you know like the credits. Writer Kelly Puckett, Counselor Damien Scott, which I love. So like you know, who cares? They, like they, they give the titles to the trade dress, but not the individual issues for a while. Yeah. I guess the story speaks for itself, potentially. Yes. As okay. always, <laughs> Well, let us first talk about the covers. I like to do this. So, four, five, and six. So, the first one, episode four, we've got her kneeling, kneeling on the ground with 
a utility belt. I can't tell if that's hers or it's Batman. And she's holding her, her mask up almost in a, I don't know, is it sort of... Am I worthy to wield this? Because it, it even says uh, her secret is horrifying. Is she worthy of the costume? Of course, on the ground, you see the shadow of Batman there. What do you think about this cover? And on the screen, you have her as a, we'll say, even though it looks like her currently, I think it's supposed to be reminiscent of the video that Kane sent to Batman. Yeah, no, I think this, this is this is like, like, like eight-year-old Cassandra. Or, or background Cassandra. Like, oh, like, which makes sense of why the costume is so large. Yes. Okay. Because yeah. her hair. For that. Oh no problem. It's it's what I do. Um, <laughs> the, her hair is longer. Oh. Her face is a little fuller. Her eyes are bigger. Yeah, this is this is like her uh, in in an oversized background costume meant for a teenager, not for a kid. That's why the even though even though Damon Scott belt, draws yeah. the utility belt so bulky, like that's particularly why. And she's in like you know the foreground and there are images of her from the video are in the spotlight while you have you know the shadow of Batman over her. I, I think it's a great cover. I, I, I think like the one of the covers from Cry of the Huntress last episode with the little Helena and the gigantic crossbow with the Batman yeah. shadow over her. I think this is this is super cool. The fifth one says the righteous and the profane linked by one tragic girl, and you have. I guess a full head, kind of. On the left side, you have Batman. On the right side, you have Kane. You've got sort of the red and blue going on. And then right in the middle, you have Batgirl in the sewers. So thoughts on this one? I mean, it's much more kind of like straightforward cover, but yeah. it's still it's still thematic, you know, like 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 her basically her two fathers, you know, which one is she more like is, is sort of the implication that is invited by the artwork. So, um, I mean, it's, it's not, a, it's, it's still a solid cover. I think the, the, the previous issue was more engaging, but then it's, it's still good stuff. And then the final one is her solving a crossword <laughs> her, puzzle. Yeah. She is, uh, almost being pushed down. It seems like from, from the weight of the words that are around her, uh, words that I suppose, yeah, they are actual words, and it's just making a a spiral around her, and her the face on her ca- mask cowl is, uh, yeah, concern kind of. Um, I mean, a face someone would make under strain, I would say. Yeah, you know, if, if these words. Uh, the first words you see in, in this cover are the, are the words you experience in the year 2020. So we're seeing mask, scream, lurk, man, cash, ward, enemy, save, refuge, run, and pun. So yay, hooray. Um, I like how Damien Scott illustrates her mask. It's extremely expressive. You can tell when she's smiling. You can tell when she's wincing. Um, as opposed to Spider-Man because Spider-Man's not Deadpool. Like I, I think it's, it helps kind of you know appreciate Cassandra's character more when her – when her mask is more emotive. Uh, so I, I dig that. I mean, this, this is, again, it's a good cover. It's, it's evocative of what's going on, her being oppressed by language. Um, so it's thematic. Uh, so, I mean, I mean, you know, I don't, none of these covers are bad. I, I like the, the issue four cover the best, but they're all pretty good. I think I, I agree with you about making the mask show some emotion, especially because the mask itself doesn't really allow that. So there's got to be some way in order to – and even Cass herself, I think it is at times hard to tell what she's thinking. And so you really have to use her face to to do that. So I think they, they do a good job there. 
Okay, here we go. So I guess I'll start off with the main man himself, Batman. <laughs> Why is he in this issue? <laughs> Why is he in this issue? No, please. I, I'm used to this by now. He's all over the place like Wolverine. So at the beginning, because I sort of do my notes, I ask questions as I read the issues. And so my first question for issue four was, why doesn't Batman give her the benefit of the doubt, given that he's seen what she does in battle and and calls her gentle and he knows that she has self-control? But then later on, I feel like uh, he is so intent on her being innocent uh, in the sense of a young girl's innocence that he's almost willfully naive, which I thought was a bit of a change from issue four. Uh, do you think, I mean, does this seem like a logical change from him going like, oh, you know, we've got a killer in our midst to, oh, she couldn't possibly have done this? Or do you think it's logical and he's just trying to make his way through and, and figure out? what exactly this videotape means given what he's seen. I mean, consider how the series began in issue one where she was asking Oracle who Batgirl most reminds her of. And Barbara said, well, you like he, they've been kind of intimating that he really sees himself in her from the moment he met her. And he's been very, I mean, this is kind of like the start of like, to me, much of the father daughter dynamic between the two of them. Like the way he's describing her is, is there's so much, I, I don't think I'm putting this in there. That's not there. There's 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 so much pride in the narration of you know, you know, Batgirl really kicked butt tonight. Batgirl, you sh- uh, Alfred, you should have seen it. So when he is, he's very disturbed because he, because her whole like you know being trained by Kane and then not killing anybody. He that's that's the same as him. So now that is Cassandra in the video. So I don't think that like it's him not giving her benefit of the doubt. That that definitely like you know. The image is, is is startling, but when Alfred introduces the idea that it, that it could be fate and it's not her, I think his detective skills are, are keener than he is actually wanting to admit. So he knows it's her, but he's trying to convince himself that it's not. Um, Alfred offers up the the explanation that it might be fate, but I don't think Alfred is like saying it is. He's just presenting that as a possibility. Like, like, have you considered the the option that it might be fate and the 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 digital quarter system? says that it's not so we see alfred's a bit more perceptive because he has a bit more distance but we see bruce it's almost like a little too close to it which is which is a change. it's weird because it is odd to see batman so willfully naive this is the, i've never seen him like this before or since and it was a little odd seeing it when i first read it but i think it's interesting just because it provides that different of a dynamic between how he interacts with his other characters and i, and I think ultimately i mean this actually goes on for a while um but ultimately, I think I think it's it kind of just shows how they relate to Batgirl, and even seeing kind of her at a different point in her life. Um, so I, I mean, it's odd almost, but I think it's cool. I, I love the scenes between Batman and Alfred because Alfred's he's mostly supporting character in this book whenever he does show up. But here, I like the fact that he and Bruce are actively kind of investigating this on their own and taking interest in this rather than just him kind of standing by the side. So. Uh, I dig it, and I don't think it's it's um, contradictory because we're we're just showing the different you know the different sides to Batman. We're we're showing you know him being ashamed and prideful and almost a little afraid and and even kind of like willfully ignorant of like what's presented in front of him, especially when it goes to David Kane. So I like it, but I have to know what you think. Cause, cause <laughs> we're going to talk about this. 
Oh, sure. Yeah. No, I, I guess I was I, I'm still even now, I think, working through it because what he's seen and, you know, I I can't help but draw a comparison to Huntress. Sure. But I think there's also I do understand that there's a difference between Cassandra and Huntress because Cassandra was maybe not necessarily manipulated, but I think she was trained without uh, really understanding what she was doing. And, you know, once that assassination happens, she immediately understands what that means and, and is racked with guilt. Whereas Huntress, you know, I, I, she's had a, a violent past. But I just wonder, like, to what sort does uh, Batman forgive, you know, sort of past transgressions? Um, and, you know, a child versus an adult is different. But I just do see, like, oh, what about, you know, these different... Um, violent actions that happen and does he allow there to be some forgiveness and, and grace and forgiving and things like that but i do recognize that they're they're different people but i just feel like it's interesting to go from all that praise i do absolutely agree with you that he's proud of her uh, praise there and then got you know almost to i don't know if it's disappointment but just gosh you know i've been praising her and now look at what i have found and so that was just a little disappointing for me rather than like why not investigate like hey i'm seeing this but what does this exactly mean she was a kid who sent this to me you know what's the i would almost go into detective mode right away and so i wonder why why that didn't happen i think that would be my only disagreement with it and i feel like his because he's trying to figure it out, and I think he is confused, I think that's why. And I can't remember, you know I've read this series, but I can't remember what exactly happens. But we see at the end that Kane, that whole thing was an act. He wasn't actually drunk. And so, you know, I think he was able to be somewhat manipulated by him, at least emotionally. You, you can disagree me, with me, of course. But uh, he goes in very emotionally high with Kane and says, you're trying to take her away from me. And then that, that whole conversation happens. So, yeah, I'm still kind of working through it. But, but I see absolutely what, what you're saying, that it isn't much of a, well, uh, like a, a mess up yeah, of his character. But, but it seems logical where his headspace and his heart space is at that time. Yeah, I think, I think he's acting very emotionally here. I, it, I think to, to describe his behavior at the beginning of issue four is shock. Obviously, he puts his hand over his face, so he's he's kind of ashamed. But it's like I think he immediately recognized because it all makes sense. You know, she was trained by David Kane. He knows David Kane trains children to to kill. So he's like, oh, this is this is this is her, and he is shocked that like somebody that he's admitted into his Bat family is a killer and then when alfred's like well it could be fate he's like oh of course it's because gavin kane's salty that like i had uh, i brought batgirl in 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 my team like there's a logic to that but i think that like it's 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 just the amount of like you know because i don't think he wants to be a hypocrite um there's, there's a lot of information kind of kind of heading hitting him and we're seeing bruce wayne react emotionally like 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 cutting off tim's phone call and stuff like that like it's it's and again I don't think this is out of character because we've not. How, how often have we seen him interact with a young woman fighter who he he sees himself in so much? Like the only time I can, I can think about it is Carrie Kelly, and that doesn't count. So yeah. I think that this all tracks personally. He's like working through it. I, this is like a new experience for him. Yes, I can. Yeah, I can get on board with that potentially. And I think he's. I mean, he's used to. I mean, he's a. a <laughs> 
a very masculine man, whatever that means. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> and he's been surrounded with men his entire life. I think the only female he's really had that he's looked up to has been his mother, of course. And Barbara, I think, huh? Leslie Tompkins. Oh, yes, that is also true. Yeah. And then, you know, I think Barbara started to soften and he started to have perhaps more respect and regard from the females. And I guess this is post. Is this post this particular issue post uh, Stephanie as Robin, her her attempt? Oh, no, no, no. That, that happens. Um, that happens okay, it hasn't happened yet. Yeah. OK. Yeah. OK. So, oh, that'll be interesting then. I don't know if I, I guess I won't cover it. But so that's interesting, though, now to think of it, because he is, I think, working through what does it mean to have a young woman on his team, one that does emulate him to us to a certain extent. Well, now I have to think about, gosh, did he really do Stephanie Brown wrong by uh <laughs> How he treats her, but I guess she's not necessarily like him. You will cover that because there's an issue of Batgirl where Steph is Robin. Oh, okay. Can't. Oh, well, I guess you'll be on there with me. So. <laughs> oh, I, I like to think so. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, let's talk about Barbara a little bit. She is in here not as much. I, I look forward to when she's in here more often because she certainly is the the mother figure to cast but i had i was a little disappointed in barbara mainly because it seems like she's giving up she's giving up so easily and getting to know her and caring about her and almost relates you know being able to talk to someone as caring whereas i feel like well i guess it depends on what her love language is but i feel like being able to spend time with her and and other ways that she's interacted with her why why can't she care for her that way? But what do you think about her particular characterization here, especially in that scene when she's talking to Nightwing about uh, Batgirl? I mean, I put, this is an image I kind of bled into my, my presentation at BGSU uh, last year, I must say, where the line where she's like, you know, I, I don't know, I hate to say it, but it's hard to care about her. I mean, I think there are times where Barbara comes off as really hard to read. Like when I say hard to read, I mean like it's, it's it's hard to see her kind of express herself almost callously towards Batgirl. But at the same time, I think that I I think that this is like realistic of her. I think I think she's a human being because I mean let me read like like the dialogue where like she's like she sleeps all night, she's out all night, she sleeps all day, so she can't talk. So it's not different than being alone, which is the problem. I wish we could connect more. It's been three months. I don't know her any better than before. She's brave. She's an incredible fighter. She took a bullet for a stranger without blinking. But as a person, I don't know. I hate to say it, but it's hard to care about her. I just wish I knew what was going on in her head. I think I don't think she's like I'm so sick of this person in my, in my house. You know, she's you know she's a zombie. Like she's saying, I mean, she's talking to Dick Grayson. So she says, you know, that's somebody that she she will not front with, like. I personally, it's weird having this person around, and I, I, I would think that we'd be closer at this point, but I can't say that we are, and it's hard to care about her in the same way that she cares about Dick um, or anybody that she's already known because uh, Batgirl's different. So it is, it is. You're like, oh damn, Barbara, when you're reading it, <laughs> but like at the same time, I'm not saying, oh my god, she's you know such a bee and she's being like. I, I just feel that like that's just how people are, you know. If, if they want to, you know, sometimes it's harder to get to know people that are different than other people that you've gotten to know. So I, I don't, I, mean, I understand. I, I totally understand that it's weird seeing her being comparatively un unempathetic to Batgirl mm -hmm. at this point. But I can't say that that's like you know. I don't think Barbara has like you know 
saint-like inhuman compassion for people and i feel that like this is kind of ones where, you, where you're seeing that like she's she's meant to be a, a a normal person with with a normal with empathy budget and we're seeing that empathy budget being challenged <laughs> i guess so yeah and i guess this is i guess normal for relationships <laughs> that you know i i've had well actually this is funny i just had a conversation with someone recently about having conversations and that she was telling me that it's it's almost one-sided with her boyfriend and that she you know tries to have conversations with him but he doesn't really ask things about her so i suppose that's kind of what we're getting at in regards to the not being able to talk but i just feel like maybe this is this might sound really bad i don't even know so i apologize in advance but i just feel like someone who is differently abled i'll use that phrase barbara would be able to have more empathy you know empathy at every time i mean you said it was maxed out uh with someone else who is differently abled like they're differently abled in different ways Mm -hmm. but just to just to think that these two people that clearly you know there's something different about them um and, and that she's got this kind of stopping point of it's hard to care about her because I can't talk with her. Yeah, it just um, – and I don't know if that's a mischaracterization or that's like honestly what we've got here with Barbara, but it is. I, I agree with you that it's it's difficult to read because you don't want Barbara Gordon to be like that. You don't think mm-hmm. that she should be like that. Well, I mean it's, it's not so much – it's not just the talking. I mean the way – I don't think she says – I, I can't talk. I can't connect with her because I can't talk with her. She's like saying that, like you know, she's out all night, sleeps all day. Like Batgirl's not making a, an effort to, to get closer to Oracle. It's not like they're not connecting. It's like Batgirl's kind of operating on her own sort of robotic schedule, and Barbara's attempts to get closer with her aren't taking. And that's kind of that's that's not helping them. You know, that's not helping their connection. So I I think that. You know, it, it sucks that she's saying that, but at the same time, I'm not necessarily blaming her because it's not like Batgirl's ma- – it's not like Cassandra's making it easy for her. It's not like Cassandra yeah. is, is like, you know, trying to learn sign language or anything like that, that and Barbara's like, I just can't get with this girl. It's, it's like she we, – we've seen in the first issue that she tries to teach her stuff, and she's always trying to, t- to teach her stuff, and Batgirl's like always out. So that to yeah. me, by issue four, Oracle's like, I'm just not – I just I just don't know what this what this girl's deal is. I think that's that's more of the case rather than – well, she has a language issue, and that's that's hard for me to care about. I, I don't I don't think it's a, it's a question of ability; it's a question of personalities. But the, but the dis, okay. the disability is certainly uh, expanding the bridge between them. Yeah, I don't think it's the <laughs> because of it. I think it's because they're she's unable to talk with her. Okay, really. Uh, I I mean because of I I well it says it's hard to care about her without dot dot dot. Well, I mean, like yeah, I think it's again it's a. Uh, it's communication, you know, like even like, yeah. and like to, to get into the next issue where Oracle understands, oh, yeah, you can understand language. She, she's looking forward to that. It's, it's not just, you know, sure. so it's, it's the communication thing rather than just like, you know, the, the simple verbal, you know, discussion kind of stuff. Yes, I would agree with you. I will expand it and say communication rather than, yeah, talking. Well, that, yeah, that's funny because of <laughs> That next part, right, where she she's testing her, I guess this is issue five, right? She's testing her about different things, which I do have a question about. But just the fact that she says a random word. Who would even think of this, really, cellulite. to someone? But cellulite. <laughs> <laughs> and then Batgirl 
points to her legs, her, uh, you know, her, th- and then Barbara, I mean, I think it's a pretty funny scene, but, you know, Barbara quite rightly gets, uh, she, she bristles a little bit. She's like, well, we can't all use the Stairmaster. So that, that, that was a, a fun little scene. But yeah, it does give hope to, to that, certainly. Yeah. Oh, let's see here. Oh about oracle and then i will talk about that we need to talk about the language thing because that's the, certainly the bit the big point of of story here why doesn't batman talk to oracle about this videotape and all that stuff tim quite right i mean you know tim picks up on things rather quickly he's like oh this is why why doesn't he what is <laughs> i think there's some fear there some nervousness why why don't well no this isn't like an attack i'm like wh- why do you think why do you think he does not communicate with oracle who is the other parent in this relationship that hey i'm finding some stuff out about Batgirl. you know can you help me out so what what do you think about this i was lost off at your tim impression there but like um i think this is um <laughs> This is a, this is a point in the Bat Family. This is post No Man's Land. Things are kind of coalescing. But like, if this were near the end of of Cassandra's title, he would. I think at this point they're still feeling out, or they're trying to get to know Cassandra in a way which they will later on. So he's still kind of taking things with her. Like he and Barbara have different different ideas of of raising her. So I think that he he thinks he knows what's best for her. Um, so he's going this alone. Um, and also he's still kind of. He really doesn't want to know that, like Cassandra did. He wants to find out for himself and deal with it, rather than people telling him what to think if they they're, if they have this information that he does. Again, I think it's a very kind of emotional, personal thing that he's kind of taking on, and so him not kind of involving Oracle uh, at the time, especially because I, I don't think that he's worried that like Batgirl's going to start killing people with, without us looking at. It. Is this kind of the information of it? So I think that he's just wanting to just to know for his own uh, peace of mind rather than have a discussion with other people about it. Um, and that's just – and that's, you know, that's a character flaw, you know, not bringing in uh, Barbara or Tim on this. That's just who he is as a character, um, whether you like it or dislike it. So I think that that's just down to it's, – it's less of a logical thing in that instance and more of a um, Batman's going to Batman. <laughs> Batman being Batman. Yeah. Do you think it's at all a a possessive thing? Yeah, I think so. I think I think so. Yeah, I think okay. I, I think it's all set up again. It's, it's reiterated in the beginning of issue four with him like saying, um, "Let me get to the dialogue." You know, she was perfect, not good, not better than expected, perfect. And that's always struck me because, like you know, he you know he he really uh, appreciates Dick and Jason and Barbara and Tim, but. You can tell that this, he's being very specific and very enthusiastic about Cassandra in this way. So when he's experiencing a protege like this and then learns something about their past, he, I, I can understand how he just, he just has to know for himself. Like this is this isn't this is not up for, up for debate, if, up for anyone else's interpretation because he feels he feels he has an insight as to who she is better than anyone at this point, and he so he wants to know that what is her business. More than anybody, so I, I just think that like I, I'm not sure if I'm ex- explaining it correctly, but I just feel that like characteristically, this all tracks in terms of how personal he's taking it and how he doesn't want anyone else with him when, when he's finding stuff for himself. <laughs> well, I'll go with whatever you say. I just I <laughs> thank you. I don't know. It kind of it rubs me the wrong way. I feel suspicious. I mean, are you, are you, are you, do you think that like this doesn't make sense, or, you, or is it just annoying that like he's just doing this? 
I think it's more annoying, I guess. Sure, sure. Yeah, I, I think that's 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 true. You you, you kind of want. And I, to, you know, I'm not trying to be hypocritical and hateful because I know how much it annoys you. <laughs> I'm just wondering, like, Cassandra or Batgirl at this time. Batgirl is in Barbara's care. I think Barbara would like to know about this, and she could help him out. So I'm wondering why he's not involving her. So that's why I'm trying to work. Through. You're you're absolutely it's right. Just, you're 100 percent right. You are. Okay. That 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 is absolutely the thing to consider. That's just not who Batman is, though. <laughs> I, I mean, like, or at yeah. least again, at this stage in time. Later on, I think, especially when Cassandra kind of goes off on her own little wacky adventures, he's much more inclined to like have a Skype chat about it with her. In fact, that, that, that <laughs> happens, you know, much sooner in the run. But at this point, he's not there yet. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, here's hoping. Here's hoping <laughs> for better relationships between Barbara and Bruce and Barbara and Kiss, uh, Batgirl. Oh, yeah, yeah. We should All make right. – we need to make ev- – what would you say? I, I, I wouldn't be in suspense too much. It, it, it gets better. Yeah. I I remember it getting better, but I think there will always be some tension <laughs> that I'm not reading into it, but always tension. We need to be careful, I think. We should make a pledge to ourselves that we can only call her Batgirl – because she doesn't have a name yet. I think. I think in um, summarizing the comic, we can. I, I don't think it. Mind, I don't think it matters if we call her Cassandra outside of the discussion of like summarizing the issue. But like in the context yeah. of this, yeah, because like they're not going to call her Cassandra. Because I just don't know when she gets that name. <laughs> I really don't. It's uh, what? Well, I don't know when they put it in comics, but Greg Rucko is the one who did it with the No Man's Land novelization. That's right. That's right. So. So that's where the origin. Because Barbara connects her identity as Oracle with Cassandra. She's the one who names her because of that classical connection there with Troy and everything. Very selfishly. So, very selfishly. Well, I mean, she's the mother, so I guess she has the right to uh, to do that. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about this the language, which I wholeheartedly agree that probably my favorite panel – in, in this case, it's a splash, is in fact that double page where you see the figures merging and then becoming talk. I think that was really clever, really well done, um, and it gets to the heart of, of what this is about. So I – my so the, like I said, I take notes by issue and – from issue four to I guess issue six, it changes a bit, but I asked about consent, my my question. And then six kind of answers it, but I still I'm gonna ask this. Mm. Now that we know, or now that Cass knows, I should say, she knows what is the effect of this, that her fighting is a little bit off, we'll say. Do you think that she would still have chosen this, the ability to understand language. Oh, no, she would not have. Um, and this is, I mean, that part is elaborated more in the next three-parter, which I can't wait. Um, <laughs> <laughs> is, is that the Shiva? That's the Shiva three-parter, yeah. Okay. Well, so soon, I thought it was later in the run. Seven through nine, yeah, I'm vibrating. Uh, I mean, that... that, that, that <laughs> But that, that starts the, the, the storyline that continues throughout the rest of Puckett's run. But like, uh, yeah, that's, a, that's it. Blah, blah, blah. Anyway, um, I mean, like, Cassandra dearly would love to talk like a normal. I don't say a normal, but like, but like the rest of the Bat family. But she, fighting is who she is. That's how she, that's how she expresses herself. We saw that in No Man's Land when she was like moving around and dancing for Azrael. You know, mm-hmm. you know, when she, I mean, Robin, she is and. 
she doesn't want to lose that. Um, you know, Kane raised her to be a killer, but she loves to fight. So, no, no, she, if she knew that this was the consequence, she would have, like, you know, she wouldn't have let him die, but she wouldn't have let him touch her head. Yeah. And it's interesting in this age of Me Too, right, and consent and everything, what that means and what that looks like. Yeah. But I, I think it's interesting and almost forward thinking to a certain extent with um, the writers here that the man, what's his name? Jeffers. Jeffers, yeah. He says, I would have asked your consent, but I knew you wouldn't have understood me. Yeah, because um, he's a well-meaning guy, and he doesn't yeah. know her, so he doesn't know that, like, I mean, I think anybody would jump the chance to, like, kind of understand language, but he doesn't know that, like, the reason why she, she doesn't perceive it the same is because it's all about her fighting prowess. So yeah. it's one of those things where, like, yeah, consent is definitely what should be here, but I don't think... There's certainly not any malevolence or like like he, there was no earthly way he could have known that like he was actually like kind of like ruining her by doing that. Um, so it's, I, th- I think it's a very well told story because it's not making him nefarious and giving a boo his villain to, to to people to root against. It's it's like making an unfortunate set of circumstances for our heroes to kind of kind of circumvent and like navigate around. Yeah, and it's clear he had good intentions. I would say. Would you have you as a, a creator? Would you have waited and delayed the storyline for later in her run, or do you think that this is the appropriate time to have it? I'm glad you asked that because I've I've thought about this a lot. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm here for to come up with good questions. Because like this is interesting. Because like it it is very soon that they are kind of like sort of solving the communication thing, and I think I think it kind of depends on how you prefer. Cassandra Kane to be like so she starts having like like thought captions in this issue and that continues throughout yes. the Shiva three-parter and that's it so she doesn't usually have it. for the rest of the for P- Puckett's run she won't have it again which I, I, I shouldn't get into this a bit of a spoiler but like um it's kind of brief I do think that it was a bit too soon granted you know, the first three issues were kind of done in ones so it's not like it was only, only one storyline but I know Puckett said that like he was kind of writing with the seat of his pants at this at this stage. He wasn't really having a plan, so I get it. But I do think it reads awfully quick that they're kind of addressing the language barriers in this way so fast. Now I think the writing is so good that like I don't necessarily mind it, but it's not my favorite of these storylines just because I think that like it gets a little complicated with like the um, the language thing a bit. So. At the same time, though, I can't say it was too soon because, as an as a consequence, this is what happened because it's, it's still written very well. So, like, I don't know if I would have, as a writer, I don't know if I would have done it as quickly ha- had I had the same idea. But maybe you know, this is so new back then. Maybe I would have. So it's tough. I as, as a fan, I feel it might have been, but as a critic, I don't think it was. And as a potential writer or a hypothetical writer. I probably would have done the same thing. So like it, it, it's – it's. what do you think? What, what would you have done? Yeah, I think story-wise, I think you could have been okay keeping her with quotation marks silent for a bit, you know, going through the David Kane situation and having her be somewhat mis- mysterious to Batman and Batman trying to, to figure out what's going on. And you potentially could have increased whatever strain there is between her and Barbara or left that aside and not dealt with that yet. It does seem – I mean Barbara 
has been working with her, like you said, and, and we've had her. This has been the status quo since Snowman's Land. So you're almost getting into it, and I almost would have liked to uh, see her develop a bit more as the silent knite. And <laughs> and then maybe bring this up later. But at the same time, I understand origin-wise, I, I think you want to get to know her a bit more. And maybe the only way to do that is with some of speech if it's only internal could you have had interactions with david kane and shiva without any speech i'm not sure well yeah it would have been interesting with shiva later on with kane i mean uh we kind of we've, we've seen that a bit in no man's land so right. again like yeah. like because this doesn't go anywhere which, which that that i regret so i can't say objectively it was too soon to do this because like where it ends up is fine yeah. And it's not like this is issue one, this is issue four, but it it, it feels like it's too soon, whether it is or not. Like, like I don't think we can, yeah. we can say because this is twenty years ago, literally now. But like it, it, it you, you get the sense that sense that this may have been kind of jumping the gun on that through Kelly Puckett's um, unease at draw at, at at writing such a new character. I will say when I was rereading this for for this particular episode that once he touched her head and that happened i thought oh oh this is happening i didn't realize it was so soon yeah. so that was my that was certainly my my first thought do you think it would have been could we have continued some stories with her being silent and continuing the status quo it, it wouldn't have been stale or anything um i think so but you know it's addressed it's addressed in the early in the issue. Bar, uh, Barbara saying it's been three months, you know, which is yeah. real because of, of the issues. And I still don't feel like I know her. Like, like that's it's kind of being called into question. Like, like, like how these characters relate to each other. Like, how much could you really have her be? I mean, maybe you could have had them grow closer together. But like, it we're showing that like you know her not being able to communicate in that way is a problem. At, le- at least for at least for some people, not a problem for Batman, but it's a problem for Oracle and. Does it have to be a problem for Oracle? Maybe not, but at the same time, we can explore different avenues of developing these characters. I had a point that I was going to discuss, and uh, it slipped out of my mind. But like, um, I think that uh, you know, if we went longer w- without this, I-, I think that they illustrate in issue four uh, creatively why you know it, it might be fine to change some things up I mean, but mm-hmm. I, i'll say that like oh i don't want to say again she can't she she, she can't she still cannot speak like we see her try to right. talk and she knows some words but like she can't she can't really speak and th- i love that because that shows you there's distinct difference between dyslexic people people that are mute and people that are learning different languages like like, like perception i think that that's a very intelligent thing for Pucket to do. So, I'll, even though there's a there's a problem that's solved here, it's not entirely um, solved. And as we as we later talk about, you know, it's not helped because it, it robs her of, her of her body language skills. So, I I, I think it's I, I'm kind of talking myself out of critiquing this bit because it feels like it's too soon, but it's still written in a way which is perfectly engaging, in my opinion. I, like, where where are you on this bit? Oh no, I agree that I think it's written well. I, I I also agree though that I think it was just too soon, and I almost would have liked to have seen her. I don't know, seen it it as in this run perhaps settle a bit. And I mean, I'm not looking for like 24 issues and then we do it, but maybe like this arc, mm-hmm. 
you know, four, five, six, maybe, and then we do something. And you said three months, and I'm thinking, well, actually, it's probably three months plus, right, if you count No Man's Land. But there is a problem, you know, with Barbara, I was just thinking about it, that Barbara has no way to control her. And by control, I mean more as her being an operative of Oracle because you can't communicate with her that way. So it's like when Batgirl goes out, Barbara has no idea what she's doing. I'm thinking about the the previous arc and everything, and and she goes off to the what prison does she go? Did she go to Blackgate to get that guy out of there? Oh, uh, oh, oh! In the last issue, I think it was just like a, it was like a, some sort of like um the uh, Count of Monte Cristo prison. <laughs> okay. Yeah, absolutely. That's what it is. Um, what's that famous prison that people can't escape from? That's like is that Aquatras in the middle. Yes, Alcatraz is kind of like that. But no, seriously, once she goes out, Oracle can't really do anything. So, you know, for for story purposes and for Oracle, I mean, this will be good because Oracle can kind of at least talk to her, but she won't hear anything back. But no, I, I, I get what you're saying. I mean, I am not – I think I can't really like speak – harshly on this whole thing i I think this is the choice that they went everything's a choice right so they chose to do it now and while we may think it's too soon and it may have been i think that what they did it's not like it was rushed or hastily done it is well thought out so i do appreciate that and remember like in issue two uh just real quick that like that was when barbara was on her BS about, you know, maybe you can work on your language to talk like a normal person. Like, there was already tension building. <laughs> and we, we can't be having yeah. that the whole time. And no, that's true. Even though it'll come back to, to bite us way, way in the end of the run. Oh, yes. So something I do disagree with, because you brought up the fact that, you know, language centers in the brains, and I, I don't have every, I mean, I could look it up right now as we're talking. But of course, yeah, being able to speak is different than hearing and things like that. But... Should she, even in her mind, know how to form and understand all of these words? Yeah, I, I thought about that. I don't know. It, it, it feels fictional that she can – because it's like understanding Spanish but not being able to enunciate Spanish. So, uh, so yeah, I, that, is, that is a little bit comic booky. I will absolutely admit that. Cause she, okay. she knows – how does she know what cellulite is exactly? Like, I mean – Right. She would have to read that. Because it kind of assumes, yes, that's what I would say is like the reading more than, yeah. So no, I, if, if you want to ding that, I, I would give you that because that, that's a little logistically inconsistent. Um, I mean, it's fun, but like I do kind of think of, okay, hang on. Like, like I, I get how she knows what a window is because growing up all her life, she would have like see, heard that kind of referred and kind of related that, the sound of that. I get that. But like, I mean, it shows that she's in intelligent like, like, like as a person again this is a stick in the eye of the new 52 but like, she's not mentally handicapped but it, it, it gets it, it starts getting to areas which is difficult to reason out when she's like she knows what everything is because she doesn't know what a like she doesn't know to call it a battering which makes total sense because battering is not a real world not a real world right i think daily is kind of a thing that like you know doesn't come naturally as, as a concept to people without a formal education. So, like, I, I, I'm with if you want to if you want to think that I'm, I'm kind of with you with you. It, it doesn't bother me too much, but when I reread it, I'm like, eh, this is a little this is a little comic booky. Yeah, I, I just think that was like I almost would have liked to see her stumble a bit, and so there are, there are a couple moments that she stumbles. I don't know if I can find it. Oh, I think it was ridiculous. The word ridiculous. She's like, what this whole situation is 
what is that word? Ridiculous. So yep. if she had done that a bit more, I think, and you know, ridiculous is an interesting word, but there are a lot of things that oh, just with that, I think that you have to give them that and step out on that, on that ledge of, okay, well, we're going to give them to the, but otherwise I think that doesn't make as much sense to me that all of a sudden she can understand everything but i guess we'll just go with it oh you guess i guess yeah uh do you think the language center or changing her language also affects her violence center you mean her capacity for violence Yes, or I guess self-control. I'm thinking about the beginning where Batman praises her on her self-control. She's dealing out her vengeance, her justice, but she's gentle, as he says. But then at the end, you know, she stops that man's heart. And of course, she knows not to kill him. But even if you look, Batman is horrified. So I think there's yeah. there's a change there between the first scene and uh, this ending one. I mean... Uh, that's 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 interesting. I guess understand what her capacity for violence is in the first place. Because I don't think we've ever seen her, her like brutalize people. Like, like she's always applied like like I'm like like the like the metahuman in that one issue. Like she wasn't she just tried to punch him and then she like she tried to pour it on with batteries and stuff and pour on the punishment. Like we've not seen her like just like go to town on somebody like needlessly. And this one was particularly a point. Like she takes everybody down. This, this is a point to scare this guy rather than just like you know beat him up. I think her capacity for, for, for violence is one that's understood by kind of like, you know, a dimension of equality. Like, you know, you should it should it should go precisely where it, uh, how these people are characterized. They have bad guys and they have really bad guys who, who shoot their own men. So I don't I don't know if this is necessarily because in this in that scene, I didn't see anything that like she her reaction would have been different had she witnessed it before she gained the capacity for language right like now if she never lost her if she never lost her fighting prowess she would have been fast enough to prevent that but because she i guess in a way it can be because like because she's operating at half speed like she says and she's kind of nerfed um she gets agitated more through her inability to be as fast and her inability to prevent certain things like like death so i guess that does affect her capacity for language in that way but i don't know if it's like oh that now that she now that she can perceive language she's automatically more violent i don't think it's, it's that i think it's again it's kind of operating on the emotions of the characters rather than just saying what the characters are <sighs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> so talk to me. where, where no, are you <laughs> No, I'm trying to, yeah, trying to work through this as well. I I just felt like there was a bit of a change. I don't know if she's necessarily more violent, but I think because of her diminished ability to fight and combat, um, I think perhaps also has come with that maybe less gentleness, but I also think that there is some emotion in what she had done, like you're saying, uh, emotion that this man did this. At least Jeffers didn't die. She would have really went off. But also emotion, I think, disappointment in herself that she could have stopped that, the bullet, uh, at any time. Um, But now she cannot. So I think there is a lot in that. But I think something has shifted. I think it makes sense that if she can't read body language as well and and her fighting prowess is a little diminished, that perhaps how she now fights would also change. And it might be a little more, uh, I don't know, brutal, but she might lay on the the violence a bit more. That makes sense, but I don't know if we actually – besides the guy – 
you know, stopping his heartbeat. I don't know if we actually see that. Like, like the gunman later on, which is kind of a repeat of that scene, she just disarms him. I don't even think she hits yeah. him. So, like, there's a logic to that, but I don't think we're given that example. Uh, enough evidence. In, yeah, in, in, in enough evidence that that's okay. the case. I guess we'll. Uh, I will wait to see then, and we can, if I remember, we can talk about this point again uh, in the next arcs as we come to it. it oh, I'm winding down here. Um, I. I have a question here on issue six. It says, "Should Batgirl be dead?" Do you Is this think, just like I should mean, Batgirl be fired earlier? Earlier. Well, don't. Oh, you brought that up. Don't you worry. <laughs> um, no, but should she be dead? She was shot a number of times, and even if you look at the the first uh, issue four. Batman, there's so much blood on the ground from Batman. <laughs> that guy should be passed out. Um, but no, seriously, she shot a number of different times. Did they really miss all her vital organs? What What do you think? I mean, it's anime. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's anime. <laughs> uh, I mean, I didn't know this was moving pictures. I, I I believe that the way that we see her kind of dashing against the gunman, she knows how to kind of avoid uh, vital parts to get shot because when she shot actually i guess she is this like there's a gut wound which is pretty bad um i think it's also maybe the fact that like i'm sure there's some protection in her costume her costume doesn't look very flimsy there's, there's definitely some sort of leather padding there to kind of like glance off the more direct blows even though that's a kind of a high caliber uh gun I, there's a one point where she actually kind of like likes the weapons she's like those are pretty cool weapons yeah she says nice, nice guns so maybe i don't know um I, all, I've, all i can say is that there be we can infer that she knows how to avoid the vital parts of her body, her vital organs. Her costume might provide some protection, and Batman got her, got her Medica- Medicare, Medicare. He got her Medicare. He got her um, medical aid fast. I, I, I would just say that. I mean, she, Cassandra gets jacked up throughout this entire. She, she gets like destroyed often. That, that, in that way, she is very much like an anime character. So there's a lot of times where it was, where it was like. It's kind of like Spike Spiegel, right? Or like, you know, that should probably have killed her. But like, <laughs> in this instance, I, I don't, I didn't think she should be dead. But it, I, I get that because she was shot like a dozen times. <laughs> so, and what are you yeah. going to do? Uh, yeah, well, I'm just looking at, ooh, uh, I'm just looking at, uh, what page am I on? 21? Does that seem right? And it's her, <laughs> she says, idiot, you almost, and I'm looking down at this middle panel i suppose and you don't see skin yeah so i can go with your maybe there's a kevlar thing but i just wonder how the blood is coming out then you know how are they using armor piercing rounds what sort of thing because you said it's not flimsy but i think of all the costumes i've seen hers always seems to be illustrated the flimsiest actually that it just seems like there's one layer and perhaps that's all she needed initially, but now she's going to maybe boost up the the quality, the integrity of it because now she needs it. Because before she didn't really need it, I think she was able to to get along. But no, I just wonder looking at that pan. You know, one, two, three, <laughs> four. I can see. Yeah, just 
I don't know. I I guess we could just say it's comics God. and it's Cass. And yeah, she abs- I I absolutely believe and remember that she gets beat up a lot. And one of my favorite things about Cass is that she runs towards bullets and does not flinch because she's been taught not to. <laughs> and so that actually, when I was reading that, I'm like, yep, that's what she would do. Because she's just running and she's getting hit and there's she is there's no physical reaction to it, man. Swish, swish, swish. I mean, you can just see it there. Well, yeah. that's also a thing, too. And, and maybe this, this shouldn't count because it's, it's revealed later, but she, she's been taught how to take a gunshot. Yeah. So, like, like, like that will be elaborated on. But, like, yeah, listeners, we can see she's been shot um, in both legs, <laughs> uh, kind of like above the bright breast, like under her shoulder, and it looks like a gut shot. And like, gut shots, that, that's like probably the, the deadliest of them. So, I, I, I'll give you that. That's a little bit of, of an eyebrow raiser. But um, then the immediate next page is her waking up in like the, the wonderful, wacky world of the Batcave. So, I'm sure she'll be fine. <laughs> I'm sure he w- she will be fine, yeah. Okay, well, my final question, of course. Well, it's not really even a question, and then you can make a statement about this and uh, <laughs> then any follow-up questions that you may have. But I just want to say that Batgirl disobeys Batman once again. They all, they all, they all do. <laughs> Every single time. <laughs> okay, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. They all do, but what happens to certain members that disobey? I mean, it depends on how they disobey him, I think. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 have you read uh, the issue oh, where Tim man. Drake is is allowed to be like gets his costume? Like that's that Scarecrow story. He Batman went after like um uh, th- th- there was a case that like because Tim was not Robin, but he was training the Batcave. Batman was invested in a case, and he forbade Tim from following him. Otherwise, he would never be Robin. Tim figured out it was a Scarecrow, so he showed up in like a, a mask and saved Batman's life. And he says, "I know." This means I'll never be Robin, but I had to save you. And Batman's like, sometimes the rules are justified, and we, when we break them, that means you're a hero. Welcome to the team, Robin. And then he turns around and says, "Not you, Huntress." Like, have you have you read that? <laughs> Not really, but like, um, does that strike a familiar chord? Because like, I, I think that sounds familiar. Because yeah. I mean, seriously, I mean, like, I don't, I can't think of a single time that any of his partners, whether it be Barbara Gordon or Dick Grayson or Damian Wayne or probably even Luke Thomas, have it use their own sense of judgment and going some something. And if like, you're about, if you're about to say that, like, you know, he disobeyed because of like this, I think again, he may be clouded by pride. I mean, I think it's fair to say that he treats her differently than he treats anybody else. And because she saved somebody's life and disarmed somebody non-lethally and he, at almost at the cost of her life. So efficiently, he's more impressed than he is like, you know, blah, 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 blah. like in back then or in Robin, you're one. Robin disobeyed him and nearly got killed, and he briefly fired Tim. More sense than like um, you know, because that Bat- Batgirl got the job done. So I see no hypocrisy here. Okay, okay, none at all. <laughs> okay, maybe maybe a little bit, but like, but not in, in so much a way okay. that like uh, uh, has has me caring about. So what are you what are you trying to say that like it's it's just like a case of him picking and choosing which rules to follow. <sighs> I need to – before I make a – well, I'm trying to think of Steph. Could you please remind me because it's been a little while? What did Steph do? Uh, I actually read I, – I can say this because I wrote about it. Um, he was fighting somebody who was just beating the crap out of him. He was blind. He was in, he was in danger of, of getting killed. So she rushes in to save him, and she's quickly apprehended by the villain, kidnapped and like dropped off at a pickup point. And as a result, Batman fires her for that. Like Michael Bailey got it wrong saying that like oh Steph killed somebody and so he fired her. That's not what happened. Like, like it was a case of like her 
you know, nearly getting herself killed and nearly getting him killed and basically being embarrassing. What What would the situation if she hadn't rushed in? What would have happened? He might have died. I mean, we we don't know for sure. So one would think that maybe. Even though it didn't turn out well, she at least helped a little bit. Well, I mean, like it's similar to like when in Robin Year One, where Tim or I'm sorry, Dick thought that he was saving Bruce's life, but made things worse. And so, so like, uh, I can see. Like, I'm not saying that like there's not inconsistencies in that instance, but I do at the same time. I don't think that like it's just a case of him being meaner to the girls, except for Steph or except for Cass. Uh, Always, because if you relate Robin Year One to when he fires Stephanie, they're very similar. They're practically identical. In this way, Batgirl got the job done. You know, showed, demonstrated to him her her um, dedication to his version of justice. And I think that that he again in the face of that video footage, he you know with the bat symbol in the background in the last panel, you can tell that like oh, I have nothing to worry about. She's she's good people. And I think that that's that's uh, thematically resonant. And again. There's a history of, of disobedience with these uh, kid characters, uh, you know, uh, in various various instances. So it's not something that he's not used to, or it's not something that he isn't. Yeah, it's not something that he isn't used to. That at one point or another, they're, they're just going to, you know, do their own thing. It just depends on the context, I think. Okay. Well, I'm gonna. I just want you to know, I'm gonna keep track of how many times she disobeys. Them. I'm sure you will. I'm always, I never know what to think when when, when when you like take in, when you absorb. We co say. After a long winded spiel, and you're like, okay, because you're, you're, the, the, the wheels are clearly turning. You ain't slick, and I'm always wondering. Okay, when I'm not on the next episode, she's going to say something that's going to that's going to be that's going to further that's going to further this boulder down the hill. So, <laughs> what are you, Sisyphus, rolling it back up the hill? Sometimes I feel like I am. I guess the boulder, the boulder's name is Batman, and you're rolling it up there. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, well, I guess we'll see. Okay, do you have any other thoughts on this arc? Let's just, just brief asides. I really like how things are written in the margins, and by that I mean that, like, kind of the characters. Like, when Batgirl's trying to find Jeffers and track down, and she finds him in the sewer with Ezra, they're in the middle of this argument where Ezra's saying, you know, like, like, like uh, uh, erase my memories, do it now! Like, we don't know her, what her deal is, and we never see her again. But it's cool that they exist outside of the needs of this story. Like, she has some sort of deal going on that, like, we don't know, and we, we'll never will know, but I think that's, that's really cool. I like the fact that, like, the scientist who operates on Jeffers, before Batgirl basically kidnaps him, we see that he's, like, you know, trying to hit up his dad for money. And he's an older guy. He, he's balding. He has a large mustache. But we see that, like, he has this whole backstory about a rich father and stuff. Like, $5 million is not too much for you. I think that's cool. I, I don't know. Like, like, I love little details, like, when Bruce and Alfred are looking at the video footage and seeing if it's, like, you know, degraded or not. And he says, you know, under, anything under 50% is, is a fake. And it's 51%. The next shot is almost identical, but Alfred's eyeballs over to Bruce. So he's trying to see how he's going to react. Like, just stuff like that. It's just, like, I, I love I love this comic so much. Um, on top of which, I think that this is, like, you know, I think Batman's characterization. I know we've, we've quibbled about it every time. But I, I, I think that he's... Um, 100% character in, in this story. I, I, I just hear his voice uh, in this, as well as Barbara. I think Barbara is, you know, her concern about not relating to Cassandra isn't one out of, like, indifference. It's, 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 she's telling Dick that because she's concerned that she's feeling that way. She's aware of how she's feeling, and she doesn't like it, but she's but, but that's how she is, that she's honest about it. So I thought it was cool. Um, what did you think? Oh, the whole issue, or the whole storyline, I guess. <laughs> 
I think it's not as strong potentially as the first one. And you know how much I think we really, well, I tore apart the first one a bit. But I think once you get past the first one, you uh, start to respect and regard it more highly because I think this one, while it certainly has its moments, and I'm not going to call it weak at all, I think that I'm like, oh, okay, that first arc really is pretty strong as an opening ballad for her her opus here. I enjoyed it. I I think my only qualm, as I said, is just I don't know how she has the language that she's got (laughs) internally. But because this is going to be a new stepping stone for her, not only being able to speak now, but also retraining herself in fighting. I'm looking forward to that particular run as as we start to see it. And of course, you know, I'm looking forward to Batman and Batgirl and seeing what that goes and then seeing how Barbara, <laughs> Barbara gets over her issues and and develops with, with Cass as well. One last thing, just oh, a little okay. detail. Um, yeah. And Batman is talking to Kane, and Kane's like um, saying, "Oh, by the way, there's assassins in Gotham. Go get them." I love. I, I didn't. I only. I only caught this just last night when I was rereading it. Is oh, actually, this might interest you. It wasn't enough cash for Wilson, and I am busy at the moment. He's referencing Deathstroke. He's saying, you know, like, oh. only, uh, you know, among you know, like, like the uh, assassin, you know, kind of like net of communication. Like, you know, I don't want to do it, and um, it wasn't enough money for Wilson. I was like, oh, that's 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 Slade. That's Deathstroke. So I thought that was really cool. What do you think would have happened if she – well, if she still had her fighting language, how do you think she would have fared against Wilson Slade? Slade I mean she's going to have a relationship with Deathstroke, a very momentous one later on. I mean he's the one that like brainwashes her and turns her evil later on and and later on in her series she goes up as Ravager and in the pages of Nightwing, which I know you're going to to get into because that's when Dick and Bats are dating – Dick is in the hospital and Deathstroke is after him, but Cassandra protects him. So, like, there's going to be a, a relationship between her and Deathstroke uh, in the future. At this point, in this issue, he would have killed her. But if if it had been before she lost her fighting prowess, it would have been a much more interesting fight. Mm-hmm. Well, we shall see once she goes up against the mama bear. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, okay, what would you give this out of, let's see here, 10 bullet holes? Yeah, I was thinking about that, like t- 10 shots to the gut. Now, I was I was going into it kind of grading every issue individually, and they all wouldn't have gotten a perfect score, but collectively, I would give this a perfect score. I would give this a 10. 10 out of 10. Oh, of my gosh. <laughs> you're insane. I'm insane. So you're saying, th- yeah, you are. You're saying that this is of the same caliber as the first arc. I'm saying collectively, the only thing I would say against us is, is that like, there's inconsistencies with how she relates items to terms. But, you know, there's so much great characterization. The artwork is awesome. I, I, I like Damon Scott all the time, but, like, this is my favorite style of his. I think the terms are great where she can understand language, but she still can't speak it. She And as a res- that's not solving all of her problems. She loses her, fi- her fighting skills. You know, Batman's emotions, his concern, his investigation, the scenes with him and Alfred in the Batcave, the scene with him and David Kane, um, the scenes with Barbara kind of, you know, kind of growing to relate to her, kind of conver- conversing with, with Dick. You know, the, the thing I mentioned with the psychic, like all this stuff. I mean, forgive me if I don't like it as much as that story where Barbara Gordon turned into a snake. <laughs> Oh my 
gosh, I can't believe you would bring that up. You're ridiculous. I'm not comparing it to that. I just, How dare you? I just think. How dare you? The quality is undeniable. This is so good. This is so good. I've never given that story a 10 out of 10. That's you're like slandering me right now. What, what, what else in the, in your podcast? Have- what that I've given a ten out of ten. I gave Cry for Blood practically a ten out of ten. Nine point five. I mean, but that's not what I said. I said ten. Oh, would you say you cut out a bit? Uh, I, uh, I didn't ask a nine point five. I said I said a ten. I mean, I don't know. I, no, know. It's probably a Stephanie Brown run. As I said, my you know my biases, but I'm not going in. I think with this one. I didn't even think about Stephanie Brown once. Oh, you brought her up more than once, but like, um, I yeah, in terms of Batman, I will admit that I am biased. But when I'm re, I do consider, you know, because I didn't give every issue last time a, a ten. So I, I'm gonna say it's okay. Is this really great? But like, I mean, come on. I mean, like every time I read this series, I'm like, there's no other comic that I've read this month or the last few months that is as good as this series. I'm sorry. I'm not saying this is the best series ever written, but I'm saying that like this was done in a way where the quality was so good. Like this, Gotham Central, a lot of the stuff in the nineties, those stories were so good that like to me I just I just want I just want to appreciate it. I just want to say, oh it's a good issue, you know, like a seven and a ten. No, I I think that this is some of the best of the superhero medium out there. And I will burn in my grave saying that people need to know because not enough people understand that i you know what's ironic is <laughs> it's been we've had a really fun time we've been uh pretty companionable I, amicable is a better word and then you lay this on me at the very end <laughs> and also you personally attack me why'd you save it towards the end <laughs> you know you love it <laughs> What save what towards the end? Like my adulation? No, the personal attack that you just laid on. What personal attack? I wasn't attacking you. Oh, you did when you brought Barbara Gordon as a snake into. I was this. on that episode. <laughs> <laughs> I did not give that. I if I gave that a ten out of ten, I was in my, out of my mind. Pretty sure I probably gave it a six out of ten. Well, I I will also say that like. The way I I, I kind of like see we, we we I think you and I read comics differently. Like I remember that 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 sto- well, this is years ago that story where it was like Batman, Robin, and Batgirl versus the Scarecrow. And I remember reading that story. I was like, oh yeah, that was, that was a comic. I, I dug that. And you had all these questions <laughs> that I never even considered. So I don't expect you and I to grade similarly. But you know, like like the artwork. It's not even like it's a, a well a well written story with with okay artwork. I love the artwork. I love the writing. I love the characterization. I mean, there's too much in here that I'm I'm actively enjoying. Like, you know, the whole like 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 mind muscle kind of connection where you kind of you know, have you heard of that? Where if you do, yes, yeah, I, I, I'm I'm enjoying this comic book. The way it was, the way the the the, the panels are sequenced. You know, the the attention to detail, the characterization. So what? I'm not afraid. I'm I'm not a man who's afraid to show his love. <laughs> That's that's great. Great to hear. I mean, <laughs> gosh, are you going to come on here and every time you're going to give these stories a 10 out of 10? I don't think so. But I don't. But at the same time, I can no. tell you that, like, probably expect it for the next arc. <laughs> 
Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, I, I, I don't know. I don't. I read things differently. I have questions. Sure. I mean, the point of this podcast is to investigate and dissect to a certain extent and have a discussion. If I, if we just came on and gushed about it and had no questions, would people still enjoy the? Show? I mean, I thought about. I mean, I, I, I put thought into this. Like, like not to make this longer, but like I was like, you know, you know, maybe it's not perfect or whatever. But like, if we're grading it. Because I was going to grade like like issue four like in a issue issue five like an eight point five issue issue six like a nine, but if we're talking about the story as a whole, is like oh yeah, the story as a whole is great. So I I, I honestly think that like collectively, it's just really really good. And I understand you know I'm not going to give every issue a ten. I'm, I really am not. But mm. if you if you want me to be honest, then then I, I'm, I'm going to be honest. And I'm trying. I'm, sure, try, I'm, just, yeah. I'm just trying to be as truthful because if I came on saying, you know, like, oh, I love Cassandra Kane, this issue was okay when it was really good, then I would be doing everybody a disservice. Well, next time we have the personal attacks out of it. I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't mean to attack you. If I, if I did, I, I, I apologize. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But the fact that you brought up Barbara Gordon as a snake, I can't believe it. <laughs> I've never forgot. Like, like, it was like sub hiss. Like that cracked me up. I remember that. It w- I don't think anyone – I don't know what episode that was. I'd have to do research, but there's no way anyone gave that a 10 out of 10. I don't think, I don't think we did either. I'm, I'm going to try to listen to it because I remember cracking up when you were synopsizing that. Yeah, it was, yeah pretty interesting. Well, I am going to give it an 8.5 out of 10 bullet holes. I thought – I did enjoy it. Um, is it a masterpiece in my opinion? No, <laughs> but uh, you know I'm not you know going in just to be mean to you and like I'm gonna get his goat and then <laughs> downgrade it. So don't worry, maybe I'll give it something a ten out of ten. So. Can I just ask real quick? My last point, like, what did you think of the scene where she uh, did the heartbreak shot on that guy? Did you like just your general kind of like you know, reaction to that? Oh, that's what that's where that question came from about her. I think. Did she lose some self-control with her language centers? I thought it was rather brutal. Mm-hmm. That's why I was concerned that something had changed more than, you know, her fighting prowess and her ability to understand. I wondered if something else happened. I, I think we've seen that she's emotional and I think to a good extent, but I also wonder to um, – like, is this going to get her in trouble sort of situation? Because I remember the man, you know, in prison and the metahuman. Uh, maybe not the metahuman as much. But if something happens and she has invested herself in someone or something and something poor happens, I think it seems likely that she might lose control to a certain extent or it just she it it weighs heavily on her and she takes it out so to watch that gosh i mean it wasn't just one punch but three punches and whoo and then batman in the back his eyes his cowl was really raised so it was yeah i would say it was a brutal scene i thought it was cool i mean it it is it is a brutal scene but like um that's because you like the uh your boxing (laughs) faithful readers of hajime nipple knows that like when you add a corkscrew blow to the heart it starts the heart uh momentarily and freezes the opponent giving you the exact time to knock them out as you would see in the ipo versus eji date fight and the uh ricardo martinez versus eji date fight uh, so yeah, I thought it was cool. I mean, I, I didn't know that at the time when I read it, and obviously this is not a you know reference to that, but like, uh, it, I, th- I think that's a real thing you can actually do. Just hit, hit somebody in the heart. That, that that's not made up. You stop their heart, it's just, like like for a second or two. Yeah, I 
probably. I'm trying to think of, was it there something else? I don't know if it was Batman or a superhero film that someone does like a a, a really elaborate, oh, maybe it was Arrow. I don't know. An elaborate thing with their fingers and like stabs, you know, stabs them with two fingers and then something happens sure. and stops her heart or something. I don't know. Anyways, but there you go. Okay. Any other thoughts? Nah, I just, I, 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 you know, I, I was actually not expecting to like this as much as I did because this, this, the whole thing with her, mm-hmm. the language stuff, it was like, yeah, this is not my favorite story of the run. You know, it's, it's good, but like, it's not my personal favorite. But when I was rereading, I, you know, taking my time and, you know, categorize, c- cataloging my thoughts, I was like, no, this is still very good. And, um, you know, I, I know I sound buffoonish, just, just heaping praise on this book every time I'm here. I don't care. <laughs> Whatever. It's true. Okay. Well, people, I guess, will come to expect it. So there you go. Well, now it's time for some listener emails. Mail time. Mail time. Mail time. The Here's the mail. It never fails. It makes me want to wag my tail. When it comes, I want to wail. First up, we have a comment from episode 183, which was the Justice League Doom commentary that I did with Tom Paneris from Salvador Dolly rather than Dolly. So maybe it's Salvador Dolly's younger brother. Who knows? Uh, He or she or they say very nice. I enjoyed the podcast. And then our final comment is on episode 184, which was the 10th anniversary from Ian Prime, a.k.a. Ian Miller. First, congratulations. I remember 10 years ago when we had Oracle mentoring staff and it was beautiful and you covered it with thoughtfulness and passion. Then the dark days when I left. (laughs) Wow. When I left DC Comics because the New 52 erased Steph and Cass and made Batgirl a reactive and uninspiring vigilante instead of the wonder creating Oracle. Then I came back, and you were still here. Yeah, <laughs> haven't left. Batman Huntress, Cry for Blood, is one of my favorite comics of all time. Rucka and Burchett deliver a work with powerful writing and art. The scene with Helena and Richard Dragon that Josh so disliked, I actually really love. It's full of design, movement, stillness, beauty, and meaning. I tend to side with Helena over Batman here. I think Rucka tends to write a Batman who is more irrational and reactive in his personal relationships. And he was Mm. the main force driving the Batman versus Huntress storyline in No Man's Land. There's so much I adore about this comic. I was first made a diehard fan of Huntress with Simone's Birds of Prey. She's probably my second favorite DC character. And I wonder what he's going to think of Birds of Prey, the movie. And Rucka laid a beautiful foundation for Helena's journey over the next few years, which I don't want to spoil for you, but I eagerly (laughs) await you discovering. One last note, a comic I can't help comparing Cry for Blood to is Batwoman Elegy, because both are the origin stories of female heroes in Gotham. But particularly, the two scenes where Helena and Kate see Batman for the first time and are inspired to become heroes themselves. This, to me, is the essence of why Batman is so powerful, because when you see him, you want to make the world better, too. I could go on for a long time on this comic, Helena in general, and hopefully we'll get a chance later as you delve deeper into her character through Birds of Prey. But for now, I'll just say once again, thank you and fly on. Any thoughts on that email? I've not read Bat- Batwoman Elegy, so I can't... I recommend it. Really, uh, yeah, I heard, I heard it's very good. I, I, 
I mean, if if Rucka wrote most of the Batman, I mean, the Batman and Huntress relationship has started with like Chuck Dixon in like the early '90s. So, like, I don't agree that like he would write Batman as reactionary. Um, but if if he's if Rucka's following the 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 letter of that relationship, then I guess he can be. But like, I mean, Rucka's such a good writer. Just, whether you like how they come off or not, I think Rucka's Batman, his the way he's writing Bruce Wayne is, is fine. So I wouldn't I wouldn't say that exactly. But like, um. I, I think I think it was just a trend, you know, of their relationship to be like that, you know. Because again, I mean, in, in Justice League Unlimited, you know, we don't see her and Batman interact, but we see her interact with like Martian Manhunter and Superman, and they they do the same thing. Great, she tried to kill Mandragora, Mandragora, Mandragora. So yeah. I don't know. I, I don't think we, I don't think we have the energy to quibble about that. Neither should we. That's the only thing I would, I would comment on. Yeah, I. Uh... I mean, Hunter, I think it's just going to be, I don't know. Whenever I bring her up, I'm like tense and ready to go because I know that we're going to battle it out. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh, what a fun relationship we have. Well, thanks, Ian, as always, for being uh, probably one of my number one fans. And yeah, writing in, I appreciate that. And of course, listening. And I, I found it really funny when you said, then the dark days when I left DC Comics uh, was a lot of fun. Well, Batgirl 42 slash 94 was delayed and apparently it came out yesterday, but I did not know that and I did not read it. So we're not going to do it. So, But we are going to take a break and when we come back, we'll just talk about our year in review in regards to literature and that'll be it. And of course, remember, after... The end, you can stay tuned and listen to Carolyn and me. Yay! So, when we come back, we will do that. But first, Zias's, and yes, I will continue to call it Zias. Zias's Radio Hour featuring I'll Never Be the Same by Tritonal featuring Rosie Darling. Dr. Zias, Dr. Zias. Dr. Zias, Dr. Zias. Yeah. 
welcome back. Before we go through our literature recommendations, which I told Don, just come up with a year in review of 2019, what you read, how much you read, maybe your top picks from everything you've read, we do have to go to Chris's Cornucopia of Curiosities. Ah, that's like still having kept the New Year's resolution you didn't bother making because you thought you would have broken it by now. Thank you very much, Stella. Hello, Batfans. Welcome once again to the Chris's Cornucopia of Curiosity segment. Thank you very much for downloading. And as always, thank you for not fast-forwarding. My name is Chris, and I am very glad to be with you. Today, I'm reviewing Batman Adventures Annual number 1, and in the Nightwatch segment, I look at Nightwing number 67. Batman Adventures Annual Number 1 was cover dated just the year, 1994, but according to Mike's Amazing World of Comics, this had a release date of September 27th, 1994, and came out between issue numbers 25 and 26 of the main series. The issue had an original cover price of $2.95 and was an oversized issue. This is available on the DC Comics app at the time of this recording for the bargain price of $1.99. Online back-issue vendors have this for at least the $20 mark. This book appears to be reprinted in the trade paperback Batman Adventures Volume 3. This issue contained six stories in varying length, and one might be considered a two-parter, and we have different creative talent involved. I'll give a very brief summary for each. The Batman was created by Bob Kane with Bill Finger. First up, Going Straight, Part 1. Written by Paul Denny, art done by Bruce Timm, in this short four-page but action-packed story... In the Gotham evening downtown skies, Batman pursues and takes down Roxy Rocket. Roxy, Rocket, and all. Then fast forward to Batman in the Batcave watching Roxy on TV as she is paroled. And she says she will straighten up and fly right while winking to the camera. And with that, we move to the next story, told in a flashback. Puppet Show, which was written by Paul Denny, penciled by Mike Parabek, and inked by Matt Wagner. Batman recalls an incident where... Mitzi Martin, host of Magic Mitzi's Fantasy Forest, Kitty TV show, finds out that her show has been canceled after 25 years. When she finds out that the Crokey the Fog puppet is operated by parolee Arnold Wesker, a.k.a. the murderous ventriloquist, she gets a Scarface dummy and enlists his help to kill the director of the show to exact revenge. The plot is thwarted as Batman was tracking Wesker's movements all along, and Crokey tells Scarface that he ratted him out. Which leads to Alfred recalling our next story. 24 Hours, written by Paul Denny, penciled by Archie Comics legend Dan DiCarlo, and inked by Bruce Timm. A fantastic four-page story following Harley Quinn's release from Arkham Asylum, only to be picked up by the Joker, putting on her costume and makeup, wreaking havoc throughout Gotham, and only for her and Joker to run into Batman and be captured, ending up where she started from. This leads us to the next story called Study Hall, written by Paul Denny and art by Claus Jansen. In this story, we see the Scarecrow torturing a bound and gagged male student named Bromley in a college classroom with fear gas. We learn that the Scarecrow tried to give up his life of crime for his former profession, teaching, under the alias of Irving Diedrich, and that his favorite pupil named Molly Randall had been physically abused by Bromley. Batman stops the Scarecrow but muses that the Scarecrow helped the woman with the only tactics that he knew. Which leads us up to Going Straight Part 2, where Catwoman frames Roxy Rocket for robbing a safe. But when Batman looks at the security footage, he knows that the woman is really Catwoman in disguise based on her moves. Batman intercepts Catwoman before she can board a plane at Gotham City Airport, which leads to a battle. And Roxy Rocket gets involved as well as she tries to clear her name. Batman fights Catwoman. Roxy fights Catwoman. 
Catwoman gets away, and Batman tells Roxy he won't take Roxy in if she keeps her nose clean, leaving Roxy admiring Batman and giving shippers pause. Which leads to the last story. Laughter After Midnight, written by Paul Denny, penciled by legend John Byrne, and inked by Rick Burchett. After a night battle, the Joker falls off of a Gotham City Police Department blimp and lands in a lake in a park. From there, we see the bruised and banged-up Joker trying to get home. But not before setting fire in a building where a tenant yells at him, using his Joker toxin on a worker at a donut shop and a newspaper vendor, and then stealing a police car. The end. My notes... Though I am a huge Catwoman fan, and she does have her moments to shine in this book, I think my favorite story here is 24 Hours with Harley Quinn. There is no dialogue in this story save for Harley saying oi in the last panel. It reminded me of an old Archie comic book story with classic Harry Lucy artwork, a very tight story with some nice humor. Harley in civilian clothes looks a little bit like Betty Cooper here. The Catwoman Roxy story is my next favorite piece with great artwork and well-rendered fight sequences. I gotta say, John Byrne draws a heck of a Joker, and unlike from what I recall in the regular series, we do see Joker's murderous tendencies here, which a younger reader might find disturbing. Longtime listeners who pay attention know I am not a ventriloquist fan, but I did enjoy this story, and it's nice to see Mike Parabig's art in an annual from the regular series, as well as a Joker story for being somewhat different, and Claus Jansen's art really working and being very effective for this villain. Repeating myself from the previous segment where I looked at Batman Adventures Holiday Special, this too is perhaps one of my all-time favorite Batman comic books. It just falls short of a masterpiece, but it's right up there, and I'm giving Batman Adventures Annual number 1, 9 out of 10 bats. Now, for everyone's favorite segment within a segment, it's Nightwatch. That's where I look at the current issue of Nightwing from a shipper's perspective. At the time of this recording, Nightwing number 67 is the current issue, and hey look, no more Year of the Villain banners on the cover. Spoilers ahead, listen at your own risk. Picking up where we left off from Nightwing number 66, Dick, er, Rick, Grayson, has now been implanted with new memories of his past, with William Cobb taking in Dick after the death of his parents, and is now a Talon. The issue opens up with him squaring off against three Nightwings in an alley, and proving to be much more of a match against them, throwing and stabbing them with blades. But before Rick Talon can inflict more serious damage, a flying mask character calling himself Condor Red intervenes. Watching from a rooftop, B is relieved. But Cobb Talon curses at the interference. Red Condor and Rick Talon's fight moves to the top of a bridge. Talon manages to get the better of Red Condor, but Red Condor fires a shot at Talon's face mask, exposing one of his eyes, just as he was about to lower a blade. Rick then pauses his onslaught, and on the final page he turns and smiles at the reader. To be continued. Ha ha ha! So do we finally, finally have Dick, or Rick, regain his memory? And what's with Red Condor? Who is he? Who does he keep reporting to? It's all not clear yet. Quote, current love interest B does appear, and as with the previous issue, has little lines here and there, but really serves nothing more than a cameo. With that, I am compelled to repeat my rating from the previous segment and give Nightwatch number 67 a cold, repeat, cold shipper alert. This concludes this edition of Nightwatch. I'd like to thank everyone who called in on Stella's past 10th anniversary show, all the kind words and fun we had, and to all of those who listened and gave feedback on it. Thank you very much for your support. I hope all of you have a great 2020. Listeners, don't forget you can find Stella on the Required Reading Podcast. I'd like to give a shout-out to my friends, the Sutherlands. Be sure to check out Warlord Worlds, Trekker Talk, Xenozoic Xenophiles, Sensational Sleuths, Fantastic Fantasies, 
and the Convention Correspondence Podcast. Listeners, you can find me on Twitter at BTO on BatBooks, BTO as in Batgirl Oracle, BatBooks as in Batbooks for Beginners, a podcast that I co-hosted with my friend Jerry, which just ended its run last month. You can also find Jerry and myself on the Professor Frenzy Show, where we talk about independent comics, other titles, movies, and whatnot. Please check it out if you're not doing so already. Please feel free to leave any comments for myself on this segment or for the podcast on the TBU website, and please consider giving us a good review over on iTunes. If you'd like to lend your support to the Batman Universe website that has news, articles, editorials, and a fine family of podcasts, you can make a donation on Patreon or a one-time donation by PayPal by following the links on the Batman Universe website homepage. Thank you very much in advance for your support. What Olympic athlete dresses as Batman and why? Who is killed during a shooting and who is responsible? Will justice prevail? Don't fail to listen to the next podcast where the answers to these frenzied, fragile, frothy, frenetic factoids will be fragmented next time. Same Stella feed, same Stella sight. Well, thanks, Chris. Okay, (laughs) (laughs) Well... Tell us, tell us about your 2019 with books, especially the book that I gave you, probably for your birthday. I don't even know that you have yet to read. Yes, uh, the power. I have yet to read that, and I. <laughs> oh my it's, goodness! It's staring at me right next to uh, Chadwick Boseman, who's staring at me. It was in, in like this painted Black Panther uh, book I have. Um, sure. And I apologize. I really, I very much do want to read, especially after you told me the premise. Is um, there's been a lot of working Barnes and Noble. There's there's a lot of I don't want to say pressure, but there is pressure to read a lot of books because part of the book club. And there's also books that you're exposed to that you want to read. Um, I, got, I got a couple of books from. That's probably uh, the best part about working at Barnes and Noble, to be honest. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it, it's it's. I don't want to say it's a burden, um, but. There are a lot of things that, like you're, uh, you know, from one way or another, you, you know, you must read. And I read a Little Fires Everywhere in 2019. I read uh, I'm Behind You in 2019. I uh, reread Spudnik Sweetheart for the purposes of the uh, book club. Um, I have read. I think I read Lolita last year. I believe I did. Oh, Fire of My Loins. What? <laughs> uh, anyways. Um, is that not the Lolita you read? The one about the guy, about like the hum- Humphrey Humphrey, like in The Little Girl? Yes, that's one of the, the intro- Lolita Fire of My Life. Oh, yeah, that's, that's uh, yeah, like okay. the introductory. Oh, my gosh. You didn't read it at no, all. It, 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 honestly, I think I read it like January of last year. Okay. Um, there was a very spirited discussion about that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, never mind. Um, talk about May, December romance. Talk about, yeah, for real. Uh, Gosh, what else did I read? I mean, like, um, I talked about this on, on our on our Q and A episode that, like, in terms of literature, like, I, re- I read, uh, just kind of briefly mentioned, very briefly, like, like Miracle Man by Alan Moore and The Question by Denny O'Neill and Dennis Cowan. I read those and really enjoyed those comic books. Uh, so, I mean, I, I think I had a pretty good uh, literary year, and I'm fixing to reread. Um, between the World and Me by Ta-Nehisi Coast, so I can argue about it with Stella Tom oh. on their show. As you see me um, rip it apart? <laughs> Hear me rip it apart? Yeah, if, if, you, if you think we're going to scrap about Batgirl, this will be this will be interesting. Yes. Okay. Thank you very much for that. I don't know what to say. I don't want to spoil the discussion. Yes, my year in review. So my year for 2019, I had a goal of reading 100 books. 
Got off to a slow start, so I was concerned I wasn't going to make it, but I did. So I read 121 books. Now, some of these were, I think I read maybe 45, 45 to 50 graphic novels. So if you want to get a sense of sort of percentage there. But apparently, according to Goodreads, I read 36,549 pages. So there you go there. I will say my top two actual literature works of literature that I would recommend from the entire year of 2019 would be modern wise, the nightingale by Kristen. Uh Oh, yeah, I'm here. Oh, I know I was going to say Kristen Harris, but now I had her name in my head. One you can make up a name. <laughs> no, that's exactly when people write in and they're like, <laughs> well, actually, Oh, can I make a joke to you? <laughs> yes. Where does a mansplainer get water? Where does a mansplainer get water? Well, actually... <laughs> <laughs> that, 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 where did you get that? That's not you. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. I got it from one of my coworkers. Why do you say it's not me? You don't think I can make jokes uh, about mansplainers? Uh, no, no. Anyways. So. The, uh, the author is actually... Kristen Hanna. So there you go. The Nightingale, Kristen Hanna. And my more vintage or classic would be East of Eden by John Steinbeck. So those would be the two that I would say would be my favorite that I read, I think, in 2019. 2020, my goal, I cut it down to 75. I'm actually nervous about that number. But the goal, the real goal is to finish my Rory Gilmore's reading list, which I think I started maybe in 2010 or 20, 2009. I don't know. So it's been going on for a while. And one of my friends was kind of guilting me because she was asking me, oh, what have you read from that list lately? And I had been reading basically other things that weren't on the list. So now I'm going to finish the list. So then I guess I can die happily afterwards. Hopefully not too soon. Uh, yeah, I hope but not. I, I hope not. <laughs> oh boy well here we are at the end of this episode i think it it was more amicable than other episodes uh with donovan and i on here so don can you tell listeners where they can find t- you to listen and read you and catch me outside um no you can find me oh how about that <laughs> well done <laughs> you can eat, um you can find me in the club with a bottle of bub. Whoa. Q Uh we have you know the most recent episode is the mega size two part uh year in review episode with with Harry and I. Each part is over three hours and by the very end I was actively <gasps> actively fighting to wait stay awake. We we recorded like I was it was two AM in my time. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, also, I had the internet. Oh, wow, and you call my episodes long. I know. I was hypocritical in that instance. Uh, also, my internet was down, so like I had to go through the Skype on my phone. So my my voice isn't great on that episode, but uh, enjoy it still because Harry carries it. You can also find my work on dcuniverse.com, where uh, I've written articles such as the top five DC doppelgangers, the top five DC PSAs. Green Arrow, the original social justice warrior, who is richer, Lex Luthor, or Bruce Wayne, and various other things. Um, and that's also my, my Twitter, DonoDMG1. Uh, feel free to uh, cancel me on there. And um, <laughs> uh, you can find me, hopefully, either featured on BTO talking about this wonderful Batgirl series, or right again, complaining that why I wasn't. Complaining why you weren't. Have you ever written in and complained why you weren't on? 
No, no, no. Otherwise, I would have done so for your Batman and TMT, TMNT uh, commentary, but I, I, I kept my mouth shut. Oh, I didn't know that was something that you had <laughs> an interest in, sir. Have you gotten those, those figures? Because they have like the uh, release figures of that movie. I haven't. No, Derek was telling me that Batgirl is in a pack with Donatello. Absolutely. We should also take um, time to say that um, I'm not very familiar with this person. Zum Yukinori Yukinori passed away a few days ago, and he's part of Two True Freaks. And um, I've not listened to too too much Two True True Freaks, but I know that just by association, he was was a, a, a colleague, and he will be greatly missed. Absolutely. Yeah, I think I first learned of him because he does uh, drawn in quarterly or the the line is drawn. So he had done drawings there and he also had done some who's who entries for Shag and Rob for their who's who. Like he would do characters that don't have a listing that were uh, morts, I think, as they call them and things like that. And, and they were just really well done. He he drew or he helped me create the uh, <laughs> the Team Shag T-shirts mm. uh, that I have. And, and I did a couple episodes um, for his show where he, goodness gracious, all one person with all these voices that he has. And, and he, he asked if I could be Barbara. So I popped on and did some things for him then and and he was generous and sent me a copy of all of his listings uh that he bound together and created his own little zooms who but yeah a really kind man i've i've had interactions with him mainly through facebook messenger where we talked about different anime and i had a a strong desire to have him on and we're going to talk and rank the miyazaki films and my fault completely i just was you know busy and trouble scheduling and i'm i'm ever so regretful that i won't be able to have a mom but yeah certainly what a loss to you know obviously his family her thoughts go out with them to them and then the community because he was he was a gentleman he was kind smart clever um so creative uh yeah he will be sorely missed for sure yeah r.i.p rest in peace absolutely well, this guy that I'm with right now, he will be heard next month for our shipper spotlight. <laughs> so I'm concerned that he won't be ready for it because I keep mentioning it, but he makes no response in regards to what he's supposed to watch. So I don't know <laughs> what's going to happen. Is it irregular? It's not irregular. Oh my <laughs> gosh, now he doesn't even know. No, I have messaged you on the Facebook and it's it's on Netflix. You need to look through. I guess I, I guess I do. I don't, I don't remember this. Let me see. Oh my Let gosh! See. It is an anime, though. It is an anime. So we're going oh. back to the anime trove. Yes, yes, yes. It's on Netflix. Uh, Twenty-six episodes, so you can carve out your time between now and whenever we need to record there. And yes, so there we go. What was the last one we did? Oh, you weren't on the last. One. No, it wasn't, wasn't uh, I? I guess. I- <laughs> Okay, but it was worthwhile to get Chuck Dixon on there. <laughs> but I guess I probably should have been more selfless than selfish and asked, what would you like to do as a way of asking for forgiveness? But I'm afraid I've demanded that we do Maid-sama, so here we go. Excellent. So anyways, so next time, the shipperific shipper episode, I wonder, I mean, hijinks most likely will ensue. They, they, they're they guaranteed to, especially uh, when we just start talking about uh, anime and with a title as incendiary as Maid-sama. 
Wait. Um, have you seen any like oh, um, Korean or Japanese uh, live action shows? I have not. Okay, because th- because they're they're kind of like anime too, and it's now in some ways. Like uh, Harry was talking about like a uh, caution hazardous wife, uh, which sounds like a really fun show about a, oh, a former spy who retires to become a housewife, but she's still fighting people's and, and you know unbeknownst to her husband who has no idea what she's doing, and, and it's like a wacky com- a live action comedy. <laughs> Cheer or Sassy Go Go, which is, which is like a Korean show of like some like, like like high school scholars and high school delinquents getting together to form a cheerleading group or some nonsense. Like like uh, there's some wacky shows out there that uh that, that sound fun. I might, I might try out and maybe you should too, Stella and listeners. Interesting. It's interesting how he recommends things to me, and chances are I'll watch it. But whenever I recommend something to him, boy, it takes years if ever. I mean, example, your name. I don't know how long ago it was that I recommended, and then you finally text me that you watched it. You were in tears. Yes. Ridiculous. Yes, it was. Ridiculous. I, I can only apologize. I, I'm, 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 I'm scum. <laughs> I, don't I don't know why people oh, don't feel like Okay. Okay. Well, you can look forward to hearing him next month uh, on that special, and then next month by myself, I'll be doing the next arc of Birds of Prey. It feels like it's been a long time since I've done. I guess the last time I did it was Hunt for Oracle. <gasps> oh no! Yeah. So oh, I just remembered that Dinah has been captured, and uh oh. Okay. So this should be interesting next month for sure. And yeah, so that's it. Remember, you can send any questions or comments to backrolltheoracle at gmail.com. You can also post it on the episode itself on the batmanuniverse.net, just like Ian and Salvador Doli did. So <laughs> I'll absolutely get those. You can also find the show on Google Play and Stitcher. Like the show on Facebook or follow it on Twitter at backrolltheoracle. Follow the Batman Universe on Facebook and Twitter as well. Support the Batman universe by subscribing to Patreon. And once again, thanks to Mile High Comics for sponsoring Backroll the Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. And until next time. Fight on, cast lovers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. At least you didn't say anything about reptile lovers. Boo, hiss. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh. Just plain Barbara Gordon masquerading for a lark as she rides into the night on her special Batgirl cycle. Who knows? Is the dynamic duo destined to become the triumphant trio? Only time will tell us more about this dazzling dare doll. <sighs> I love a happy ending, don't you? Thank you.
So this is uh, we are recording December twenty second. So we've just seen the film. This will be out on the January episode, though. But before we even start talking about Star Wars Episode Nine, I wanted to know: Did you like it? Yes or no? So that we'll be able to figure out where this discussion will go from the very beginning. Okay, well, as a political scientist, my answer to most questions is yes and no. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, mine is just yes. Oh, good. Yeah, so we'll, we'll, we'll start with that. Did you have any expectations going in? I really tried not to. I mean, I try to approach uh life with low expectations so that I can be easily <laughs> surprised um, <laughs> when things go well. I don't know. It's a strategy, whatever. Yeah. Um, so I tried to do that for this. But of course, you know, the, my, my little heart is like five years old again. I can't yeah. help it. You walk in there and it says a long time ago at Galaxy Far, Far Away. And then the fanfare starts and it's like, Ooh, you right. know, um, but did, did, were you looking for particular things to happen? I actually wasn't. I went in, someone asked me how I was feeling, and I said, I have no feelings whatsoever right now. I went in with no expectations. I had only seen the first trailer, which was really a teaser, where mm-hmm. it's all black and you hear Ray heavy breathing. That was the only trailer I had seen, stayed away from everything. I liked The Last Jedi, but I also recognized there were issues with it, so I didn't you know, despise it as much as other people. So I was hoping that this one, I think my only expectations was like, Please let it be a little bit better than The Last Jedi. And I love Force Awakens. That's I, I love it so much that I thought if we can get close to how I enjoyed that, that, that was all I was looking for. But otherwise, no expectations. Okay. Yeah, I mean, both of those movies, they're quite different from each other. I, I liked things about both of them. I was disappointed in some things about both of them, but they are very different. So certainly going into this, I thought, okay, probably given the director, this will be more like The Force Awakens, but there's darker stuff that's got to be addressed too. So it's got to have some probably Last Jedi-ness as well. Um, but I'm not sure if it was perfectly like either one of them. Yeah. What did you think about the tone overall? Um, I thought it was a little leaden, (laughs) you know, like more, um, I thought that, uh, one of the, one of the things that I like about Star Wars that's been copied in a million places since is that I, I think it's at its strongest when it has a lot of action and suspense, but that it also lets you breathe a little bit um, with character moments, whether those are like softer character moments or whether it's just like you're lightening something up with mm-hmm. a joke. And I thought that there really wasn't much of that. It was just like, bam, 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 bam. Um, a, a friend of mine said this morning, it was as if J.J. Abrams made the eighth and ninth movies and mushed them all into one movie. Mm, Interesting. Like a lot of stuff is happening. Yeah. I would agree that the tone is, I think, serious, more serious. It is darker, I think, than we had seen. And I think it's so, it feels so heavy because eight, I think, felt so light because there were all these really light moments and bizarre moments, you know, with the milk creature and everything. (laughs) And so I think this was had a serious tone, but for me, there were moments of levity, and I liked it uh, a better than 8, just because I thought 8 was almost getting silly to that degree. 
But this had had space. I mean, it was always with the droids and C-3PO, mm-hmm. I think, was generally uh, the clown of the <laughs> of the story, which was great. Sure. But I was I was OK where it was because I felt like this is what you have wrought and you now need to tie up all these things. And so it inevitably had to go to this potential tone. That was my thinking anyways. Yeah, and, and I see what you mean about the the tone in in um, the previous one because you have very serious things, but then you have silly things, and I think that there's a middle ground there that's good, <laughs> right? Um, and I don't know, yeah, I don't I don't think the Last Jedi necessarily hit it. Yeah, there were there were a couple light moments in here that I really liked, um, like. Wait, we're do, we're spoiling, right? I mean, yes. we can just say yeah, whatever. Uh, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Okay, so like Kylo Ren hits the ground and kind of says, "Oh, you know." <laughs> oh like, yeah, that hurt. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Something like that, or uh-huh. um, uh, oh, I just thought of another one, and now and then I forgot it. Okay, sorry. What else did you think was good tone wise? I th- the Ray story, which we'll probably talk a lot about Ray. Um, <laughs> I'm still trying to work it out whether I like everything because there were, I think, some comedic moments because she's, I think, funny overall. And she she has that uh, like in The the Force Awakens, I thought just once you're you first meet her and her interactions with BB-8, I was all in with Ray. And I um, but the this one, because it's all her journey and what she has to do, it's kind of heavier with her and so it was good to see her in a more serious fashion um but i did miss some of the levity with ray as well mm-hmm. yep i agree with that yeah do you, should we just talk about ray yeah let's do it okay what do you think of ray <laughs> palpatine <laughs> ray palpatine i was saying to my friends at the end of the show i could Get on board with and everything, basically. But the one thing that's really hard for me to wrap my mind around is Emperor Palpatine fathering a child. Yeah, yuck, right? <laughs> it was. <laughs> and I kept saying, and I said, well, maybe he used midichlorians to mm-hmm. impregnate somebody. And I got yelled at. They're like, don't say that. And I'm like, well, how else do you, how else do you want me to say it? Uh, yeah, that's the only thing. And just to think how old he must have been, because <laughs> in Return of the Jedi, but in the Return of the Jedi, he was probably already he could have been Luke's grandfather. Hmm, so now okay. he's I mean, think of how old and decrepit he must have been. I don't that's So that's the only thing that I can't really wrap my mind around. But then everything sort of comes together, like how, you know, people called her a Mary Sue. Right. But how quickly and how powerful she was and she understood the force and was able to use it. Now it like becomes clear why all that stuff was happening. Mm, that's a good point. I I felt like it presented a couple. Uh, yeah, I agree with you there. I, I think it presents a couple problems, though. One of which is, okay, Palpatine fathered a son, I guess. And so there is there is in the old, um, you know, the old expanded universe, there are a couple women that I could see could possibly have been that woman. Sure. Um, right? So there's one that's described at some point as like his concubine. I think her name was something like Roganda. And then there's another character that you might know, and her name was Isan Isard, I-S-A-R-D. Mm, yeah. She was sort of like this cold, was she a general? I think she might have been a general, you know, smart 
empire lady, mm-hmm. you know. So, um, so I could see that. But then here's the thing with the midichlorian thing. It's implied pretty strongly that Palpatine created Anakin out of midichlorians, right? Mm, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so if Palpatine then also maybe created Rey out of midichlorians or fathered someone who then fathered someone who was Rey, doesn't that mean that Kylo and Rey are related? Interesting. I suppose that's true. Yeah. So that's... Depending on what, do you see midichlorians as like cells, basically the building blocks of all life? I see midichlorians as a terrible uh, plot (laughs) decision. (laughs) Okay. Well, it's there. We've got to live with it. But yes, I guess I do picture them kind of like cells. Yeah, Yeah, I guess they could, which then that means that you feel icky when there's a kiss. Well, I felt icky because I think Kylo Ren is a Ah, toxic hyper masculinity mass murderer guy and so i don't think anybody should kiss him (sighs) well do you think he was not redeemed then at the end um i think that that i think that it's good when people decide not to do bad things anymore and to do good (laughs) things Uh, okay like anakin but um no, I have. Uh, I uh, I am not such a good Christian that I have that much forgiveness in me. So, like, I don't forgive Anakin Skywalker for the zillion people he killed, and oh, I don't sure. forgive Kylo Ren either. Okay, um, yeah. So I and I felt like a lot of his toxicity was was aimed at Rey very directly, particularly mm-hmm. in the Last Jedi. You know, you're a nobody, uh, you're nothing, but you know, I see something in you. All you have to do is you know, be evil or whatever. So I, I, I think um, if uh, I would have been okay with a hug, like you brought me back to life. I, yeah. I, I see that you're Ben again, you know, hug, but the kiss was just like, whoa. Yeah. I, um, and I know a lot of, there are a lot of uh, Raylo shippers out there. Right. But, um, you know, I'm at a point where I have a 13 year old girl and I'm trying to teach her the difference between, okay, I think that boy is just kind of teasing you and he doesn't know how to express that he likes you. But I think that boy is kind of stalking you and he's being a jerk. Like I want to see there's a dividing line between these two things. And and I I worry about pop culture that keeps circulating the idea that, you know, if you just love that jerk long enough, he'll turn. Yeah. There is a bit of sort of domestic abuse, Mm. but you know, in the wider (laughs) world, since they were Mm -hmm. living together, you know, in using that you're worthless without me sort of situation. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Who would you be without me? I, they, they set up that connection between them in the last Jedi. Mm -hmm. And so I felt like we were almost compelled that that kiss was like a compulsion because uh-huh. it had we had been pushing them together for so long that it was like, well, we've got to do that. So I thought to myself, well, they really pulled the trigger there. Whereas the entire time you've got Finn mm-hmm. and um, Rose was pushed to the side. We could talk about her because, boy, was she basically not a character in this one. Oh, I was and, mad. I was mad. <laughs> and Finn almost confesses and you i think it was always that will they or won't they situation yeah. and then it's like what where are we going to leave it now i guess it's kind of a question mark and make of it what you will but yeah that was you know a little disappointing though i do think it was a really beautiful moment the fact that she had given her life force which they built it up nicely she mm-hmm. saved the she saved the basilisk from the uh secret chamber <laughs> and uh <laughs> and then she say she healed him 
Yeah. And then he ended up healing her. And then, of course, that was basically all he could do with the last of his energy. So I thought that was a really beautiful moment. Yeah. Yeah. That was Um, good. I liked that. And I also liked the way, even though you could kind of see it coming when Palpatine said something like, all the Sith live in me, you know, she's going to say all the Jedi live in me, but it's the lightsabers. And it's like, yeah, yeah, it was so good. And uh, do you think, did you like that they used voices rather than the force ghosts? No. (laughs) Oh, that's because you want to see Ahsoka, isn't it? That is correct. Yeah, no, I did. I I did recognize all the voices. I mean, I checked the credits at the end. Like, was that who I thought it was? And yeah. it was. So that was good. I mean, and if you know the stuff well, you do know who each of them are. Yes. It's just that we've established the Force Ghost thing. So why not? Yeah. Why not do it? Um, and speaking of that, I thought Harrison Ford was very good. I thought that was mm-hmm. a very good scene. Yeah. But I really thought that it was going to be Hayden Christensen. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So I I wonder if that was a meta thing or if it's just like, nah, you got to go with Harrison Ford. Everybody loves him. Yeah. And good for them for keeping that secret. Do you think it would have worked having Hayden or do you think it would have to, to help guide Ben back to being Ben or would it have had to have been Darth Vader? Hmm. Well, I think we're supposed to assume that Anakin's force ghost is Anakin. Yeah. So I guess it would have to be Hayden. Yeah. yeah. And do you think when the Emperor was using voices to talk, he didn't use Hayden Christensen, he used Darth Vader. So do you think yeah. there really is a divide between Anakin and Darth Vader? No. Okay. Don't I mean he's the, he's the same he's the same person. Okay. I think we, we can decide to, to change, but we're still in the same body with the same brain when we do that. So no, I don't really see them as I just see them as different aspects of one person. But yeah, the but the the misuse or lack of use of Kelly Marie Tran <gasps> so upsetting because she and, and just in a again in a meta way she took so much crap from people from you know social very, media and, from yeah from yeah. bad people I'm just gonna yeah. say you know, I mean oh, people sure. that really just are were terrible to her um, and so that she kind of went through all that and it, within the story that Rose was built up to be this great everyday person who was just going to work her butt off and right. you know take chances and risks and stuff and then to have her and to, and to have her actually have to say out loud I can't I'm not going to go with you because it's like having her have to say I'm not going to be in the rest of the movie <laughs> because yeah because for some reason, Dominic Monaghan needs to be in the movie and say, yeah. like, four lines. Why are you here? I like you as an actor, but why are you here? Because J.J. Abrams likes to keep his people together and, you know, lost and everything. So and he killed back. Greg, I was surprised he killed off Greg Grunberg, though. I know. That was shocking. You know, if I had not seen the other two – well – Let's just say I hadn't seen The Last Jedi, which a person in our party hasn't seen any Star Wars. She was very oh. adamant about not, but now her she's now engaged to one of my friends. And <laughs> the question, I will say as a side story, her question, because Jacob, my friend, was trying to explain to her sort of just to set it up, she asked, what's a Jedi? So, <laughs> so you, you know, that's an issue. But if that had been me, I would have just been like, this is a side character that we don't really need to care about. And to think that Rose was so built up. She had a she had her own novel for goodness sake, or at least she and her sister did. Yeah, it was and then good. yeah, to be relegated and basically J.J. Abrams almost bowing and 
you know, to the to the people, the angry white nerds was rather sad. And Rose definitely would if it was the Rose, if it were the Rose from the previous movie, she would have definitely been with Finn and that random person whose name I can't recall because she had she had been with him on all the other adventures in the previous film. So that was yeah, it was a weird course. Correct. Plus, she has skills. So why would she not be? Why? Yeah. I, I mean, I so it either could be bowing to angry fanboys, like you said. Um, it could be trying to just maintain the three. So you sure. have a parallel with the three from the first movies. Um, but no, and I mean, no, it just doesn't make sense. She was a good character. Yeah. yeah. And didn't we end The Last Jedi with her? She was injured and wasn't Finn mm-hmm. looking over her. So it was like, yeah. oh, well, maybe Finn. Yeah, I that was quite odd. It was quite odd. Yeah, and I think that would have been, you know, the whole Finn Ray. I want to tell you kind of thing. <laughs> uh, I I, I kind of hope it was he wants to tell her that he thinks he's force sensitive, but I don't think that's what it was. Oh, <laughs> I mean, I yeah. it was, you know, I love you or whatever, and that, you know, okay, you have unrequited stuff in movies, but it's like there's Rose right there, and hey, yeah. this new lady Jana seems pretty great. Yeah. Well, I guess we'll see. Well, now Janice, she's going to go off on a an adventure with Lando. Yes, I was glad to see that the the movie has more than one set of two black people talking to one another. Right? <laughs> that, yeah, you know, I mean, there's a some people call it like the the Ava DuVernay test, like kind of. Oh, after <laughs> some the, people after the Bechdel test. Sure. Um, so that was good. Um, yeah, Lando didn't really get to do that much. And I'm not really sure how he and Chewie rounded up the entire galaxy in five minutes when Leia's old message couldn't do it in The Last Jedi. Because she's Leia. Come on. I know. I guess he just called in a bunch of favors. What did you think about Leia and Carrie Fisher's uh, role here in this story? I love Carrie Fisher. I uh, have since I was a kid. I not too long ago, my mother was looking through these old cards and there was a Mother's Day card from me in like 1978 and I had signed it, Love Carrie. (laughs) (laughs) I guess I was trying on a new name there for a little bit. (laughs) It didn't last. Anyway, um, but to, I thought that they did as well as they could writing around what she had done. But whenever she was on screen, I was just distracted by that's Carrie Fisher. She's dead. And they're trying to use this footage. Like I couldn't Uh, not think it. Did you feel okay about it? I did feel okay. I was trying to work out what was kind of real and what wasn't real, Mm. if that makes sense. You know, what had they manipulated and what hadn't they? And I, I think my thoughts were inevitably something's going to happen to her. Oh, sure. You know, so when is this going to happen? I did like, you know, the fact that she, it was almost like her power and Han Solo combined to bring Ben back from from the edge. And so I did like that. And then, of course, she stayed solid for a while until, and she left at the same time as her son, which was nice as well. So what we got of her, I enjoyed, but I'm there that my mind was kind of somewhere else. Like, uh uh-oh, what's going to happen here? Yeah, it was more like, okay, how are they going to do it? So you, yeah. Um, And at at first, I mean, I think it would have been if, no, if she had not died, it would have been great to have her and and Harrison Ford, like standing next to each other to make it was both of them because 
it sort of ends with Harrison Ford. So it seems like it's more him than her, which isn't really the case because it's really her, I assume, projecting her force energy to call to Ben to get in the middle of him and Ray. Yeah. You know, that kind of stops him initially. Yeah. Um, when I first, when I first saw it, I thought I wasn't sure if it was the force energy and now I'm tired (laughs) and dying thing. I was like, did she just die of a broken heart? I'm going to flip a table if she just died of a broken heart. And then I, and then I realized, okay, you know, and I was talking to a couple of my friends yesterday and they're like, no, I think it was, they were trying to make a parallel with her and Luke. So I, I, that, is that how you read it right away? I, yeah. Uh, no, I guess I could see the broken heart as well. I mean, once she knew her son, yeah, I, I would say that I, I got some feelings of that as well, the broken heart. I mean, I can see why her heart would be broken. She's taken yeah, a lot really. in her life. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, they, yeah. I, I mean, even though it really was her and it was footage of her, it almost felt like it was CGI'd in a way, mm-hmm. like she wasn't quite there. I don't know how to describe it. Yeah. I did like though you Ray got to use her lightsaber. Yeah. Got to see some training yeah. between Leia and Luke. And that um at the end you have Luke and Leia and Ray takes up the the name Skywalker. Yes. She lays those lightsabers to rest. So I think there are some nice familial elements that they put into this film that are successful. Yeah, I think the friendship stuff and the family stuff is really the strongest part. The idea that we're not alone. You know, that they, they, they make us feel afraid when they make us think we're alone, but we're not. Right. There's more of us than there are of them. And, you know, you can choose family and you can choose your friends. Um, so I would have been okay if she had just said, my name is just Ray, as I was with her saying Ray Skywalker. Like either one of those I would have been yeah. all right with. Um, but yeah, I did like the Leia, Leia and lightsaber thing. At first, I thought, oh, why didn't they make it purple like Jaina's? In the, oh, yeah. Um, you know, and Ray would be using the purple lightsaber like she's kind of the Jaina. But then I was like, no, the blue makes sense because that they're twins, right? And I kind of knew she was going to use both of them at some point. So it, it would be cooler if they're kind of the same color. And so, yeah, I, yeah. I was all for that. And I also liked, um, did you think that Ray's, well, yeah, I mean, for one thing, I figured Ray would make her own out of her staff at some point because yeah. the shape of it. And, but I thought it looked a little yellowish. I agree that it looked yellow. Okay. Because I thought, oh, is this supposed to be white like Ahsoka's, but it's n- not quite, but yeah, you thought it was yellow too? I did. Okay. Do you think it's trying to do a blend between the blue and the green of... Luke and Leia, hmm. and I guess Anakin, maybe? I don't know. There weren't a lot of, I mean, when I think back to, you know, old expanded universe lightsaber colors, I don't, you know, you don't see like yellow and orange. I mean, it is mostly kind of the cooler colors. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I felt like the white would have called to Ahsoka and you're not a Jedi, but you are a force user. And this is what you yeah. in that case. So that that was a surprising choice to me. Yeah. Unless you're trying to do like a blend between. Yeah. She has these roots of the dark side <laughs> in her, but also the light. Yeah. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. And that was actually why I thought purple would have been good also. But sure. I think purple, I think in the movies that's so associated with Mace Windu, I can see right. why I wouldn't do that. Yeah. Um, 
and speaking of Mace Windu, that makes me think of Palpatine, which so I just want to give praise to Ian McDiarmid, who's managed to be in these movies across these decades and been I know. awesome every time. He was just chewing scenery like crazy in this one. Yes. It must have been fun. Probably. I mean, he did remind me of a Borg at one point because he's hooked up to that machinery, <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah. But he's, I mean, he was frightening to behold that I didn't laugh at him once. I didn't think, no, well, no. you know. Um, no, super creepy. Yeah, it was. Yeah, absolutely. And then it was like he was surrounded by orcs. I mean, I know they're not orcs, but, you know, that kind of thing <laughs> where it's just like this mass of yes. stuff. Yeah. And, and you weren't, I wasn't sure if we were supposed to think these are actual beings he's created or are they just like shadows, like dark yeah. side shadows, and then they kind of all crumble at the end, so... Um, but yeah, I thought he, I thought he was really good. Um, I did like the new little droid. Oh, are- the little guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she reaches out to touch. And he's like, no, thank you. No, thank you. Yeah. 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 Um, I liked the way that they showed Chewbacca grieving over Leia. Oh, I thought it was appropriate. Yeah. Whew. Yep. Well, they have such a connect. I mean, you don't really see too much of a connection, I think, in the films necessarily, yeah. but spe- like in Thrawn, in the Thrawn trilogy, and the fact that she goes to Kashyyyk and everything. I mean, I think they really build up their relationship in that set of books. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and in all the old books, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Knights of Ren, were they successful? They, they looked cool, but they didn't get to do too much, really. No. But they were menacing looking. They Definitely. were. They hunted down. I feel like their main, their biggest scene was against their previous master. Yeah. Yeah. And you kind of knew how that was going to go, I think. <laughs> yeah. What about Carrie Russell? How did you think she was? Oh, yeah. Once she popped in, I was like, oh, there's Carrie Russell. I yeah. liked her. I mean, for the small part that she played and you get a little bit of Poe's backstory, which I think was interesting. And the sort of the flirty fun that they had between them, you know, at the appropriate moments, I thought was good. I thought she had died at one point because I thought, "Uh oh, did she make it off the planet before the they destroyed it? But yeah, she she followed through um, and helping people out. So I thought for the amount of screen time that she got that she did well. Yeah, I agree. I mean, as soon as I heard her talking, I'm like, oh, it's Felicity. (laughs) (laughs) I can't help it. But um, yes, that was another uh, I thought very good light moment was when she basically rejects him at the end when everybody else is hugging and he's like raising an eyebrow oh, at yeah. her. And she just shakes her helmeted head at him. Yep. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, you, you could say her turn was kind of quick but, yeah. to, to, to heroism, but the sure. movie, like I said, I just, it was so overstuffed that things felt like they were happening. You know, like it just kept going, like just barreling, um, forward. Yeah. Um, and potentially, you wouldn't necessarily have to consider a hero, but at least against the against uh, yeah. first order, yeah, yeah, or the final order. Now. Final order, yes. yeah. I I took that as a nod to final solution, like a Hitler. Oh, thing, but interesting. Yeah. I'm not sure if that was what they meant or not. Yeah, there was that was another expanded universe thing. The idea that there's a big hidden fleet somewhere. Yes, I want to say it was called the Katana Fleet, but I'm not sure that's right. Does that sound right? It does sound right, actually. Like so that that there was an imperial remnant in the out in the the, the maw or the unknown regions or something, yeah. and they were supposed to be waiting for a signal. Um, but yeah, I don't remember the details of that anymore. So 
So that was cool. I liked that the idea that maybe there were many Snokes, like he was making all these clones. Yeah. Because it sort of tells you, like, Snoke, you don't have to care about Snoke's backstory. Yeah. He was just a pawn. Yep. Which answers all those questions. What do you think about our, our little mini alien? The little en- the little engineer welder lady? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> great. Totally great. Oh. <laughs> and how C-3PO, when he comes back, says, oh, it's my oldest friend. It's my friend. oldest friend. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, oh but we know, goodness. I mean, 3PO's mind has been wiped before. Right. On, on the yeah. order of Jimmy Smith's. So we know he's going to wind up okay. Yeah, I figured it would be. Yeah. Though it was sad and the red eyes. Yeah. The red, yeah so Ooh. the red eyes, I was like, oh, he's just going to stay this way and they're going to have to take his head yeah. off or something. But, <laughs> well, I mean, Gosh. that's happened before too, of course. Yeah. Oh boy! I guess yeah, it's it re- happened to him, really. <laughs> I he has gone through a lot, so maybe he gets a pass at all of his complaining. Well, that yeah, I suppose so. <laughs> um, what did you think of the idea of the the forced dyad? Oh, that was interesting. I think we've maybe teased at it just the fact that Luke and Leia are twins, but not to such a degree. But the fact that they're it answers a lot, I think. How do they have this connection? How yeah. can they be in completely different places but experience the other person's landscape or pass objects back and forth? So I, I think – I thought it was a, a really interesting concept. Yeah, I thought that it did help to explain those force things that we hadn't seen before, especially the mm-hmm. object passing stuff, which was like, what is happening? But yeah, I mean, if you you explain it to me in sci-fi, okay, cool. I'll go with that. (laughs) Um, They don't really explain. I mean, I don't know if we're supposed to think these are the kind of people that can have a force dyad because the force is so strong with their families or if it's just, I I don't know. Yeah. Um, Yeah. The, 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 I guess what what bugged me really the most about the Palpatine connection, and again, I can see why they did it. I can totally see why they did it. But I, I liked the idea once I got used to it because I was dying for her. I think I probably said this to you before. In The Last Jedi, I'm like, okay, she's going to be the granddaughter of Obi-Wan and Duchess Satine. <laughs> this, oh. is, this is what I was pulling for just because sure. I really like them. Uh, yeah. And when it wasn't that, I was like, oh, rah, rah. but – <laughs> then I really came to like the idea that of her being no one, mm-hmm. that, that it, this isn't an elitist midichlorian bloodline thing, that anybody can be a Jedi, you know, just like anybody can be part of the rebellion, like Rose or like yeah. Finn or whatever. Um, and I, I didn't like l- losing that, that, that idea of the boy with the broom, right? You're just a right. kid with a broom, but, but you can be somebody, you can be a Jedi, a hero. Um, and related to that, it made it it made it another story about fathers in a way you know like so much of star wars is already about father son stuff and then this kind of made it that too because it's about palpatine and son and it's like now she's not just a person who's using her own power it's like palpatine's power so i was like meh um but yeah i think it's it definitely sets up some drama so i can yeah. see why they did it i just I, I like the I like the messaging about we can all contribute and we can all be heroes and stuff. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think it would be nice to have some sort of novelization that explores what this exactly means. That's funny that you say that. The other every <gasps> other book I've read the novels like the day they came out, oh, and sure. some of them did have extra stuff. Is there is there a novelization of this? I've been so busy grading final exams, I haven't thought about. <laughs> I don't know actually. Ah, oh, because in The Force Awakens, there was a bunch of extra stuff, and a lot of it yeah. had Leia and Rey in it in particular. So, yeah, I wonder if they're going to do it that way. Um, yeah, that would be a good thing to check on. Yeah. Uh, well, what do you think about our token uh, queer characters? Oh, well, I sneezed, so I didn't see it. Exactly. Now, if- I just thought, what's ha- this is like victory day and whoop, there they are. Come now, come now. Look, if you were, it, 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 it was perfectly fine to do it, but yeah. this was not enough for you to pat yourself no. on the back in interviews. Yeah. No, no, no. That is not I think the they're scared. I think they're scared. They were scared to pull the trigger on Poe yeah. and Finn. Yeah. Uh, whether... You know, we believe that's a possibility or not. Um, yeah. So I, I think that's as much as we're going to get. Who knows? But it was in the Ahsoka. So they've – it depends. There's some – in the novelizations, I think they have more freedom to do stuff. For sure. I mean that yeah. – and that's um, – I talked about that in, in my book a bit because it, it seems to be true – not just in Star Wars, but in the superhero genre as well, that basically you tend to see the most risk taking in the medium that requires the least financial risk, which is comics. Yeah. Right. And then it, so it's like comics, then novels, then TV, then film, the more money they're spending, the wider audience they're trying to reach, the more kind of conservative stuff tends to get. Yeah. Um, and yeah. So I think that <laughs> I think that we'll continue to see stuff in comics and novels that is more has more yeah. diversification of people's lives in it and uh, less so in movies. That woman was in the previous. Yeah. She was in The Last Jedi. I yeah. Think. And so the fact that this was the only time we saw any hint of her orientation, I think was a little disconcerting. Like you couldn't do anything leading up to it, but I guess we just didn't care about her enough. Who knows? I think we didn't care enough about her, but also when it's, when it's an opposite sex couple hugging, you don't necessarily feel like you need the the hint. Yeah, I suppose that's true. You know, so, but so uh, yeah, if they had said nothing and it had just been in there as a normalized moment of two people, I think it, it would have been better than, than having it hyped. Yeah. And also the, there was an interview a couple days ago where Abram said something like, you know, if you look hard, something, something Ahsoka. And something, so something, something. Yeah. So I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking. <laughs> <laughs> like when the woman comes up to her at the end on Tatooine, I'm like, is that Ahsoka? <laughs> Which really wouldn't make sense. But um, <laughs> yeah, no, I did definitely recognized her voice. Yeah. But it's good to have her in there at least. Yeah. yeah. Well, we'll get some more of her soon so, with Clone Wars. The I'm ready. Yeah, yeah. The Clone Wars. I've been watching some Clone Wars over the past since I got Disney Plus. Um, so it's been fun to to go back to those. Yeah. Well, anything else on Episode Nine, The Rise of Skywalker? Hmm. I don't know. I guess I just would make one comment about race and ethnicity, which is oh, yes. I feel like Star Wars continues to 
exoticize its aliens in ways that call to mind actual cultures. Mm. So like in the first scene, Kylo Ren's just killing a bunch of people. Yep. And they were all wearing these hats that to me seemed quite Vietnamese in the, in sure. their shape and yeah and so there was that and then with the whole here's this village full of elephant looking people but they're all wearing these kind of Indian colored clothing mm-hmm. um, and I understand the making you know Poe was a spice runner okay so was Han Solo before him so you're trying to continue to draw that line between them as rogues and whatever. Um, but you want to make your one Latino lead a drug dealer? I don't know. I mean, again, yeah. for the one person, it's perfectly fine. But like that thing, that's just been repeated across decades, across all different kinds of media. So you just have to, I think they just need to think a little bit about when they do yeah. that kind of stuff. I get that. I'm going to um, ask you a really, oh, yeah, please. And, and the only other thing I was going to say is about that village. Oh, yes. Um with the elephant people. I mean, obviously, they're all going to be massacred. Yeah. So it, it kind of would have been nice, I think, to reflect on that. And and there were, I think there was kind of a lot of death up close. Like a lot there of storm, was. stormtroopers who continue to be terrible shots. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like just getting killed, killed, killed. And I think that that is harder to take now because we know some stormtroopers. Yeah. You know? So it, it yep. just felt a little... And a couple times when they kill stormtroopers, they're like, yeah, our heroes. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. You know, like Finn yelping yay when he killed a stormtrooper when he used to be one. That's kind of weird. Yeah, it's true. Yep. Well, here's a really, really tough question. How would you rank the (gasps) nine? (laughs) How would you rank the nine films? Now, here's something funny I've realized that's yeah, yeah, a yeah. Thing to do. What's terrible is because I didn't prepare you in advance. What I've realized about you now, you you're, you're pulling the wool over people's eyes because I ask you a question and mm. you're aghast. Like, how could I ask you this question? I'm not prepared for this. But really, actually, you are prepared for it and you play it off. I've noticed this now. I noticed it when I uh, did the Colin show, and last time when you were on, you also did the same thing. Now this, I've really, I've really unprepared you. So now you're on the spot. How would you rank the nine films? Okay. Well, first of all, <laughs> I, I, I don't. Um, if if you tell me we're going to talk about something, then mm-hmm. I do think about it. But otherwise, I'm not prepared for things. <laughs> I'll let you know. If I'm if I uh, really am not prepared for a thing, you'll know like right now. Um, no, I you know, it's funny because I, I do have a lot of friends who engage in this a lot or with the Marvel movies or whatever. And I never sure. participate because I think it's too hard. Uh-oh. I mean, I just okay. I couldn't you'd think I would have thought about this in the past 42 years. But um, I know I don't know. I mean, I can say that my favorite movie is the first movie. Okay. Um, and I, and I assume by the first you mean a new hope. A new hope. Yeah. I mean, I, okay. I think that's just because I was so young, and uh, it just became a part of my everyday life. That you know, I would I would play Star Wars with these three guys who lived on my street. I mean, for years we did that, and so it just was. Um, it was just a big part of my childhood, and so nothing can. Even though one could argue The Empire Strikes Back is the better film. Um, it didn't feel that way to me at the time, mm-hmm. you know, so it didn't have the magic of the first one in some ways, even though it was better crafted. So um, 
I mean, I what's your could could you tell me your favorite of the prequel trilogy and that your favorite of the sequel trilogy? Hmm. Um, that's hard. I guess. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, because I don't like any of the prequel movies as a whole. I like parts of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for instance, I think Revenge of the Sith is a good movie, but I have a big problem with the central part, which is the fall of Anakin. I just don't mm-hmm. think that is convincing. Um, I like a lot of what I like. Maybe I'll say it this way. What I like about the first three movies as a political scientist is this idea that fascism and empire come from within that frightened people will choose fascism (laughs) because they want a, a resurgence of order and control and they're willing to believe certain things when they're afraid and when they don't understand why their lives are not as good as they used to be. So I really liked all of that. And I liked Padme in the first one and a half movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I love uh, Obi-Wan, young Obi-Wan. Yeah. And Qui-Gon. Um, that would be harder to answer about the, the new trilogy, though, mm-hmm. honestly. I'm not sure. I don't think I have an answer. Do you? It probably would be Force Awakens mm-hmm. for me. Any, yeah. Uh, I just – I really love that film. And that would – I think – my favorite of the original is actually Return of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that people are like, because of the Ewoks and all that stuff. But I just really like it and the, the redemption of Vader. And yes, I do understand we can't forgive him for blowing up Alderaan and things like that. <laughs> but uh, it's <laughs> – you know, little things like that. Yeah. But yeah, I really like that. I would say Phantom Menace and then Force Awakens if I were to choose – my favorite of the three of the Mm -hmm. trilogies. Okay. Yeah. I mean, Return of the Jedi had a lot of good in it for sure. The Ewoks, Mm -hmm. my understanding is that they were supposed to be Wookiees. That was the original plan. And then I'm not exactly sure how that got changed. But, um, and I understand also Lucas has said it was supposed to be like a metaphor for Vietnam. Oh, no, that, that, at least in that movie, it should be quite clear that the Empire is the United States and the Ewoks are Vietnamese people. Interesting. Um, so I appreciate all of that. Um, I, yeah, I think I guess I would say The Force Awakens as well. Okay. 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 Well, now I will move. Are you okay to move into our final subject? I'm ready. Okay, so we call I like to call it Star Wars the cuteness. We have only watched up to the penultimate episode, though, right? So that's we'll just have to deal with it. So, so episode seven, something horrific happened. Baby Yoda, aka the child, almost ate Carl Weathers. Yeah, it was scary. Yeah, was scary. <laughs> and he and and, no. he, and he force choked Gina Carano. Woo! Yeah, so this is what this is what I really need to talk to you about is I'm trying to figure out this child. Yeah. And I I totally get your perspective as a mother. You have said that <laughs> what <laughs> I don't know why you're laughing. You texted me and you said as someone who's had a toddler, you know, you kind of just deal with these things that they decide to do. So when 
you know, he's messing with the ship, which was hilarious, by the way, because I thought, oh, gosh, you're going to crash. I'm thinking to myself, is he just messing with the ship because he's a child and also Yoda got up to some hijinks as well? Mm-hmm. Or did he have foresight into, uh-oh, we're going into a trap situation? Hmm. How much insight can we give this character and how much can we not? I mean, the first time he meets... Mando, he goes along with him. He could have probably stopped. He tries to heal him. Yeah. But then at the same time, like I said to you with the robot, I guess that was episode six, he knew something was up. I don't know if he knew something was up with the whole gang, but he shows insight sometimes. Mm -hmm. And then other times, I, I just can't tell. And like you said, Gina Carano, right? So it's clear that the child very much likes probably loves mando and trusts him and so he was seeing this arm wrestle probably thought it was real yeah and was trying to protect him at that time so i just don't know how much can we assign that he is even though he's 50 years old a child and trying to work and how much insight does he actually have because he's pretty powerful even though he's only 50 yeah then he just needs a nap after he loses his- <laughs> that's true he always collapses the poor guy <laughs> <laughs> no, it's funny because you were just asking me, you were, the conversation we were having about how much insight do you think he has was right before this last episode. <laughs> that Oh, it was, yes. So then it was, then I saw that one and was like, okay, well, so I guess the last one made me feel like he knows more than we thought before. Yeah. Um, and, and he might be misunderstanding what a threat is, but he must sense good in Mando and, yeah. and, understand that he's being protected by him. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seemed like when in that last episode too, where he just kind of, he's upside down and he kind of puts his head down cause he's eavesdropping. Yeah. Well, he's eavesdropping. So he yeah. does want to hear something from yeah. them. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think your, your idea about the ship is a possibility. Maybe he did it to get their attention. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe he, <sighs> Maybe he doesn't totally um, uh, like he doesn't have total knowledge of what's going on, but he senses what's good and what's not. Yeah. Or when people are in need. Yeah. I mean, the fact that he stops that huge beast, he helps Mando out. The fact that he, when he first met him, waddled over to him and yeah. tried to heal him. And then he went over and healed Carl Weathers. Mm-hmm. What's his real name? Reef? I know. It's terrible. Apollo Creed is his name as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I can't help it. <laughs> that's fine. So, yeah. Yeah. That sounds right. Is it grief or reef? Something like that. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And also when he, when that one where they're in the village, which I mean, obviously that plot has been done before. There was a Clone Wars episode like that. Do you remember that one where it's like Ahsoka? Oh, they help them out. They, they yeah, yeah. There's a village and they train them. Yeah. Which is also yeah. based on, of course, Kurosawa's Seven Samurai, that Lucas. Oh yeah. That stuff. Um, which is a great movie, but he, you could baby Yoda or the child there, totally comfortable with all those people in that. Yeah. Um, so I guess we're supposed to assume, and I think we're also supposed to assume some time has passed mm-hmm. because when, um, uh, I don't know what you call him, grizzled guy in the desert, Nick Nolte. Oh yes, Right. So oh, Quill, isn't that his name? Yeah. So he says something about, like baby Yoda hasn't gotten bigger, which I thought maybe meant time had passed. Yeah. So maybe we're supposed to assume that his powers or his insight grow pretty quickly. Okay. I don't know. 
Yeah, because I just feel like once we've seen all this stuff, why why would he not have done something to the Imperials before they put him in that weird scientific? That's a good thing? question. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I'm just so, trying to work out like his power levels. Well, I mean, I guess the real answer is because the plot needed him to be taken by the <laughs> Yes, there indeed. Is, we, you know, Donovan doesn't like when I answer things like that. Well, it's hard. There isn't always a good reason, except that that's the way they wanted the story to go. But as mm-hmm. as fans, we want to find internally consistent reasons, like Ray, uh, for instance. Ray blows up this uh, transport and she's like, oh, Chewie. Well, but then later she knows that he's not dead because she senses he's not dead. So why did she, if she, like, if she's so powerful, how could she think he was on that transport when he wasn't? Yeah. And then later she, right? So like, that's not consistent. I agree. But yeah, because didn't Leia, couldn't Leia sense Luke? Sure. But did she have, did she have to be that close to him? No. Right. Because they have to go back to get him in Cloud City. Yeah. Um, And we assume that that kind of grew with training. Mm -hmm. So anyway, sometimes there isn't a good answer, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I did really like Gina Carano. Yes. Um, And I thought Ming-Na Wen was tragically underused. Oh, boy. Because I I could watch her all day. Yeah. Um, And so that leads me to my next statement that. Other than the the show with the village, oh no, you know what I'm gonna say. I mean, oh, you've got no. to really work. You've got to work hard. You've got to work hard <laughs> to cast fifty percent of Earth's population as one percent of the characters in your show. Like that takes effort. That like in the first episode, you got a whole bar full of dudes. You got a whole village full of dudes. All your empire <laughs> is dudes. Your stormtroopers all dudes. I mean, really. That's it's stunning. It's really stunning. <laughs> so, what it does it pass or does it fail? <laughs> My own test <laughs> or like a Bechtel test? I, don't know. I guess the Bechtel. Wait, does it? Does it? That village show probably did. Did any other episode? Oh yeah. Me? Um, as long as that woman wasn't talking about Mando, because remember there was like an almost fling there. Ah. Uh. I think that's yeah. The only time there's been a woman to woman interaction huh what about was amy sedaris the only woman in that one <laughs> um yeah because she didn't talk to she only ming na wen no right and then the um what's their name i've forgotten their type their um species but the person who used to have a fling with mando there was only one woman in that crew right right oh the uh twilex, the twilex. yeah yeah yeah. I think it might fail. <sighs> wow. 2020, uh, failing the Bechtel test. Come on. And the Mandalorian armor maker, she seems to be the only woman in that room. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yikes. Yeah, I can't really think of any. That is the way, or this is the way. <laughs> <laughs> this is the way, I guess. Yeah, that's really interesting, isn't it? Nobody in any of these towns is going to reproduce. <laughs> I guess not. We don't know about the Jawas, though. We They could have been passing with flying colors. Yeah, you're right. You're right. 
We don't. <laughs> uh, but no, I agree with you about Gina Carano. Uh, just when I first saw her, well, at first I was disappointed because she was just in that one episode. Mm-hmm, yeah. And I thought, oh, no. I She's been at all these press things. Is that really the only time we're going to see her? So I was glad that he brought her back because I really like her. Um, and yeah, so what do you think that we, the, I was joking about the horrific thing being Yoda was, or the child was going to eat, uh, cause that was part of the, he starts screaming about it. <laughs> but the, the real horrific thing is that it seems like for the first time, Mando won't be able to get out of the situation cause Gus Fring from, uh, Dos Air, uh, Dos Pollos Hermanos <laughs> in the Breaking Bad universe yes. is there and Quill, I guess, is dead and the child was snatched up by two guards on two stormtroopers on some speeders. I know. And so do you, now we have to wait to see what happens next. Is it coming out on this Friday? Or are they waiting, waiting? I I don't know. It might be this Friday. Okay. Uh, I mean, what do you think? I don't know. I mean, how do you get out of a situation where there seems to be an innumerable number of, I'm guessing men, stormtroopers? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure. He already used his one card because this happened before. I thought, uh oh, he's not going to get out of this. And then all the Mandalorians right. can help them. But right. I think presumably after that, they were going to find a new settlement. I would assume so. And also, you want, so. you can't really play that card twice with the same effect. Right. If yeah. they hadn't done it the first time and they did it now, that would be kind of cool. Yeah. Um. So I guess it's going to have to be those guys on the speeder bikes come back and baby Yoda just freaking levels them all. Ooh, yeah. Because what else could it be? The the guild is the only thing I could think of. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Since because in, he, in one episode, how else could you, you got to deus ex Yoda it, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I don't know. And, and I just hope that, well, we just want to know, I mean, what they uh, former empire, the, I don't even know what you would call it, wants mm-hmm. with this person. So to, I'm guessing to clone him or to turn him, yeah. but they better not harm a little hair in his tiny ears. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Giant or ears. A little head. Right. <laughs> oh, because man, I, alive. I just, I, I'm completely entranced by watching that puppet. I, I know. Stop. Look, just looking at it like, oh, so. And the, <laughs> Apparently, that one actor who played the original Imperial, who was who assigned the job, I guess he won. I even saw his quote. He was upset. He said they would have been the dumbest people in the world if they had done if they had CGI'd the child. Yeah, Werner Herzog, the director. Yes. Yeah, I mean that that whole casting is just hilarious because he's just yeah. he's kind of playing a caricature of himself as an as an Imperial. <laughs> and we should also say Pedro Pascal doing a great job without oh, seeing his goodness. face. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you think we're going to see him take the helmet off? I think if he takes it off, it'll only be for the child. Yeah. Sounds good. I, I just think that <laughs> that's the only reason because he's not taking it off. Well, he didn't take it off for that uh, Twi'lek, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Um, he Because he did tell the weapons man he's never taken off for a um, – an enemy or anything. Yeah. But I just think there's an intimacy between the two, and, which I think stems from his hard past. And so it just works really well. You've got this guy who's got a heart of gold protecting this little kid. Mm-hmm. Lone wolf and cub. I know. Now here, I'm going to put you on the spot again. Oh, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a favorite cute Baby Yoda moment? Oh. Yep. 
Wow, that's tough. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there is, I think, I guess the it's it it's probably more than one moment, okay. but it's the way he does it. Like when he, he does a thing and then he sort of keels back and falls asleep. I find that adorable. <laughs> I know. Yeah, he's just, it, he's expended all of his, I have The drinking to say, tea. It might be the drinking tea. Oh, the drinking tea. Yeah. Or when he eats the whole frog. <laughs> That's good. And Mando is like, get that out of your mouth, which as a parent, you've probably experienced that very thing. Oh, yeah. Many times. times. (laughs) I have to say my favorite is after he rescued him and put him on his ship. Mm -hmm. And this was in the same episode that he said, don't play with that. That's not a toy. Yes. You you see Mando's driving and you see up from the console is the little hand coming up. Yes. And Mando on he un he unrolls it and then gives it to that's my favorite because it's just like you can see how much you know what this relationship is gonna be like. Yeah, the little hand. You're yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, it's so fun. Oh so oh man. It is so good. Well I guess we won't talk on Skype, but once the finale comes out we'll have to text and either comfort each other or shout for joy. Hmm. You don't think they'd kill him off in the last episode, do you? Kill baby Yoda? Uh, no, but I'm afraid that they'll take him and Mando, and then that's the cliffhangers. The next season, Mando's got to find him. That's what I'm afraid of. They'll uh, be separated. Yeah, December 27th. That's Friday, right? <sighs> yes. Okay. I had to think. Yeah, Christmas is on Wednesday. Right. So, but the thing about this show, because I think. I didn't have any expectations. I was like, well, it's Star Wars. I'm going to watch it. But I enjoy it thoroughly. And because of how well it's done, I'm even more excited for Obi-Wan Kenobi. Well, yeah. Uh-oh. I think – Uh-oh. Oh, no. It's not a, It's not an uh-oh. It's – Oh, that, okay. I mean, I, I think a lot of people probably assume, you know, I only like female characters or whatever. But Obi-Wan <laughs> is basically up there in my, like – top three. And so I've been saying since Revenge of the Sith, what was that? 2005, three? Oh boy. Yeah, probably. So I've been saying since then, please just give me an Obi-Wan movie. Please just give me yeah. an Obi-Wan TV show. So I am so excited for this. I cannot wait. Yeah. I would watch him read the phone book. So oh, that's cool. Interesting. I, yeah, they, and- I did see him live, I should say, uh, Broadway <gasps> brag here, except it's a West End brag. It was in London. Um, I saw um, Ewan McGregor and Tom Hiddleston and Chiwetel Ejiofor, sorry oh. if I mispronounced his name, in Othello. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I was like 10 feet away from them for three hours. It was really great. Was Hiddleston- uh- I didn't know who he was at the time. It was that long ago. Was he playing Iago? Uh, Ewan McGregor was Iago. Tom Hiddleston was Cassio. Oh, okay, interesting. Yeah, so good. So, oh, I can't, I can't wait. When the first <laughs> couple episodes of this show, I have to say, I was like, this looks beautiful, but I'm yeah. not compelled by it yet. And then, sort of like the second end of the second into the third episode, I was more like, all right, I'm in. Yeah. He pulled me in with his little green cuteness. Which is all the little (laughs) guy in his wrinkly head. Yes. Well, we can at least look forward to Ahsoka returning. So there's our our female that we can rally behind. Yeah. Yeah. I I look forward to the (laughs) new Clone Wars for sure. Yeah. (sighs) Well, I know that this isn't a real podcast. 
But <laughs> if you want to tell people where they can buy your books. Oh, geez. What uh, books? You know, and they can, of course, find you on the Twitters because you're pretty live on the Twitter and everything. Ooh, burn. <laughs> it's my favorite joke. Okay. I've never once tweeted, but I do. Yeah, I know. Account. So I can just uh, tweet all these terrible things and... I, I do. I, I will look like once a week to make sure people yeah. aren't saying terrible things about me, which they are, <laughs> but whatever. Mostly you. Um, no. Yeah, I know. <laughs> the best way to get hold of me is my email, which is cocac at oldwestbury.edu. And um, I have written a few books, but I guess the most pertinent one here is called Superwomen, Gender, Power and Representation, which is like a 75 year history of female superheroes. And it has kind of deep dive chapters on um, Wonder Woman, Barbara Gordon, the women of Star Wars. Many of the women of the X-Men, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and Captain and Ms. Marvel. And I'm working on a new book that should be done in a couple months called uh, <laughs> uh, called Superheroes, Sisters, and Soldiers, Wonder Woman and Captain Marvel from Comics to Film. And oh. It'll focus on um, themes of sort of sisterhood and family and also military service um, in 20 teens post-reboot Wonder Woman and Captain Marvel comics and their two origin films. Wow. Coming soon. Do you know when specifically? You said next couple of months. Um, I'm supposed to turn it in in March and okay. hoping for it to be out in the summer. So Okay, summer release. Sounds good. Well, you know what that means? Um, in time for Comic-Con? <laughs> Yes, and you can come back on the show. I can grill you about it. Cool, cool. You know what? It's it's now occurring to me. Why didn't we do this next weekend? And we could have talked about the last. I know. I too thought of that, but my thought was that maybe the holidays and stuff it'd be hard. All right. Well, we could always do a five minute addendum next week if you. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm up for that. If you are. Yeah, I'll be home. Okay, sounds fine. Hey, thank you so much for coming on. I always enjoyed talking to you, and I just felt like we needed to speak rather than text talk on all of the stuff that Too much. Came out. It's too much. I, it was. It was too much, yeah. Yeah, my heart is bursting with Star Wars. <laughs> what a good thing to have. Yeah. 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 It's a golden age. It is, yep. And we're done now with the, the trilogy, so they're going to focus on the, the standalones and new things. I'm sure that's going to work also. Yep. Let's hope so. <laughs> it's got its hooks in me. Yeah. Okay. <sighs> well, thank you. Well, thank you so much for having me and happy anniversary again. Oh, thanks. And Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas and happy Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, oh. and happy new year. Absolutely.